I have a very strong... I've never watched an episode of Rain. The only thing I know about Rain is one time you, Bester, were describing a long sequence of Rain to me, and you were talking about Nostradamus, but you spent about five minutes talking, telling this anecdote, and every time you would have said Nostradamus, you accidentally said Nosferatu, and it gave me a very different image of what Rain was. Okay. Also, I've de- I de- there's also definitely a time when I, uh, instead of Nostradamus, said... Um, Rasputin, and since then, <laughs> since then, it has my been my dream to have a rain style show about the Romanovs. I'm stunned that hasn't happened. I don't like, think I've even heard of Rain. Oh, rain you, was you, a, you weren't in the target demographic. Yeah, Rain was like it was like trying to be like it had some weird aspirations to try to be Game of Thrones, but it was also very much like a CW style soap opera. It had about Mary Queen to, of. It had aspirations to try to be the Tudors. No, because they had this really weird thing going on with, like, a, a pagan blood cult out in the forest. <laughs> and, like, this was, this was like, the big overarching, like, the way that the White Walkers are, like, the, the <coughs> big bad of Game of Thrones. This pagan blood cult was the big bad of Rain, But, like, everybody in the castle was too busy dealing with, you know, whether or not Mary, Queen of Scots, loved... The king or the king's brother. Hmm. And then young Nostradamus was there being sexy, and I don't remember what. Now I want to hear a Boney M tune about Nostradamus. (laughs) Nah, nah, Nostradamus. (laughs) Uh, I would like to point out that uh, I think that there's there's a fundamental difference between uh, watching one of these shows... uh, in retrospect, after it's finished, and watching it week to week, like you guys did with Lost or mm-hmm. Battlestar, uh, that uh, Breaking Bad, I think watching it while it was airing, and you had absolutely no idea where it was going, or, you know, it didn't have a cultural uh, face yet. It was just a thing that we were experiencing. Uh, I, I think I picked it up halfway through the second season, and, you know, we had no idea that Walter White was going to turn into a horrible bad guy. Like, I feel like by halfway through the second season, we knew that. Maybe halfway through I mean, the first He season. was getting worse, but also, you you came to it late, so, like, there was already a, a cultural conversation about him. Uh, and the, the kind of, uh, the, the tone of the character that he had become. But, you know, it, it's like, if you go back and, if you've never seen Lost, and you go back and watch it now, it's impossible not to know stuff about Lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Or, but also, or, you know, I think, you know, I think good. going back to like the Tony Soprano thing, like I think there is also there's something mm-hmm. that I find, you know, almost insidious about these sorts of like very, very charming, tragic, evil figures that you know they tell us that it's okay to be this way, and like I don't know if we need to be as a culture be watching stories about these these people like why why is this I mean, what we're doing with our lives? Moral that is the complete opposite of the message of breaking bad like, <laughs> but a lot of people but a lot of people don't get that and, well, I, and uh, I, you're I, also I, talking about it like walter white is the only character in the show but it's, it's like a lot Mad of Man. people it is it is a no it's not show, uh, right? it, <laughs> i mean jesse is is the hero of the show and walter white is the villain uh and 
uh, it, it's like Mad Men. That uh, Don I, Draper is I just agree, one of. I them. agree that's absolutely the intended uh, the intended meaning of the show. But I uh, but from what I have seen of people online, a huge number of people do not understand that. I. Uh, that sounds like a know. Fight Club I, situation I, to me. I, I suppose I find that difficult to believe. <laughs> I mean, yeah, everyone I mean, that I've talked club, to who's watched the club, show Fight hates Club Walter is also White. In a similar, <laughs> Fight Club is also an in an interesting, similar way because like men's rights activists really fucking love Fight Club. It's mm-hmm. it's one of their favorite movies. And well, yeah, I mean, they have to have misread the movie entirely because they think it's supportive of Tyler Durden. But it's also a movie that is polysemous enough that that is a viable reading of it and in some ways i understand you know well well you know we just have to accept that but also you know there's also an argument made that maybe we shouldn't be putting art out there that is you know that people are going to read in such sort of catastrophically bad ways that i disagree so, with you don't think there should be any ambiguity because people are too stupid to to understand the uh, final moral of things like uh like that that You're book a- uh, that book, the game about the pickup soci- pickup artist society, like I, dude, I do. You were arguing people. last week that we should ban the figurative use of literally for odd. I was not <laughs> arguing that. That is that is not at all what I was arguing. What I did was ask you what your opinion was, and then you assumed what my stance was. All right. Well, the very least, uh, you were playing. You seem but, to be playing devil's advocate for for that. I think there's, I I. I, I'm not arguing anything here. Like, I'm not, like, pu- putting this as, like, my end-all, be-all opinion on this. I just, well, I think I think there is, I, I dislike that these, you know, there's a cultural message that, you know, that if you're brilliant in some way, you can still be an asshole. That you can still be irredeemably evil, but if you're charming and attractive and intelligent enough... You know, do we need to watch a show about House? House is a fucking asshole. We don't need flawed geniuses anymore. Going to like a, an even bigger sort of Me Too movement well, sort of a thing. Yeah, I mean, fuck flawed geniuses. We don't need them. We're we're talking about uh, well, you're talking about what we need, but television is about uh, yes. what we're entertained by. But uh, I, to support your point, what I was going to say was that it's like that that book, uh, the game about the, the pickup artist society. I've known a lot of guys who who read like yeah. yes exactly uh, by Neil Strauss and I I've known a lot of guys who read like half of that book and were like oh this is awesome but like if you read the other half of that book the whole point of the book is that it's a hollow empty life and all of these people who who uh, the real people who the book is about live completely empty and sad meaningless lives none of them are happy. Uh, so and, I, I and see what you're saying because people it's, miss that because the pickup artist community is still a thing. That is exactly what I just said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that yes, it's uh yeah. It's, I understand what you're saying because it is easy to miss the point. But uh I I think I, you're both wrong and that we should talk about Ant-Man. Uh, Never. Hold on. uh in terms of Mad Men, like, I think Mad Men is is no, Ant-Man. A distinct <laughs> example because uh it's it's not about a deconstruction of a person as, I mean, it is that, but it's also uh, a vehicle for showing all of the other things that were happening at the time. Mad That's Man, about a Mad deconstruction Man, of an era. Mad Men is a terrible piece of television and a terrible piece of art. I don't know many people who would support you. I, I certainly I, would not. Then you don't know many people who are right. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> yep. Fargo is the best show on TV. 
That's all I'm saying. I have not watched Fargo. I've heard good it's things. It's amazing. <sighs> hey, Ant-Man. so we got that. You got that, out of, got, got that out. Apparently, uh, you a okay, lot of Nick? opinions. Well, thankfully, yeah. this is not a film that many people will misread or bring any kind of interesting <laughs> no. reading to at all. No. <laughs> yeah, so let's uh, let's let's kick this. Although one in. I I do wonder about the uh, the ideological implications of the bumbling ethnic sidekicks. Oh sure, yeah, oh, yeah. What, no, what's no. Our, what's our, uh, those uh, wombats? We'll talk about the wombats shortly. The <laughs> oh, wombats. I'm like, ooh, that sounds like a slur. <laughs> uh, he's an old man. He's from a different time. <laughs> Um, hey. anyway, so let's, yeah, let's get started from digital left to digital right. We've got, uh, Daniel Watson Jones. Howdy. Uh, he'll be playing the part of, uh, Al Pratt. And next to him, we have, uh, Derek Long. Hello, listeners. My favorite kind of ant is the carpenter ant. <laughs> uh, Derek will be playing the role of Adam Cray. And then we have <laughs> Nick Bester. I can only apologize. Nick will be playing the part of Rhonda Pineda. And I'm Stephen Claypool. I'll be playing the part of Ryan Choi. Do you get it, guys? We're all lesser characters who have at one point or another adopted the superhero guys of the Atom. (laughs) (laughs) You're also so disappointed by this. Dude especially looks just sullen right now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh and the film we're talking about today is Ant-Man, a film with a uh, troubled production history, to say the least. Um, we are going to try to give this film uh, a, a a fair shake. We'll talk through what it is. Um, I, I don't want to rush through this podcast at all. I'm more excited about the next episode of our podcast. Uh, but that is potentially years away at this point. Um, yeah. What is next that you're so excited about? Oh, is it Fantastic it's, Four? It's Fantastic Four, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, but yes, this is Ant-Man, and uh, we are going to talk about the Ant-Man, which was uh, not directed by Edgar Wright. It was de- directed by, um, oh, what's his name? Peyton Reed. Peyton I almost Reed. said Peyton Royce, but that's a female professional wrestler. Um, Peyton Reed. Isn't he, that Peyton Manning? Yeah, Peyton Manning, female, female professional, professional wrestler. wrestler. Yep. Walter Peyton. Yeah, so Walt- we can alienate the, well, uh, yeah. never mind. Peyton- Instead of rest of the listening audience, but... Probably Diamond not alienating, yeah. alienating uh, much of our audience yeah. with Diamond. that exactly. slur. Yeah, we don't have a lot of Denver Broncos fans listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Peyton Reed, he of, uh, was Bring It On, was that his big thing before? Yep, Bring It On. Uh, yep. He also did uh, Down With Love, the Ewan McGregor. That's a good Blair. movie. Oh, yeah, oh. kind of the uh, Doris sort of, Day Rock Hudson. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, and... The rom-com with Jennifer uh, Aniston and Vince Vaughn. Which one was that? The Breakup. Or, the Breakup. The Breakup. Yep. Also I him. never have been able to tell you that. <laughs> I, I, look, I looked at his IMDb page last night, and I remembered the poster, but not the title. He also looks strikingly similar uh, to uh, Corey Stoll, who plays oh, the, the big yeah, in this film. Him. He because looks like I, a cross I between Corey Stoll and Justin Thoreau. <laughs> because I've definitely had the image of Reed Diamond in my head for him. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking more uh, the Turtle Man from Master of Disguise. Um, Another 9-11 connection. Uh, we've, uh, we've, we've done it. 
Yeah, wait, back what up. What have you... Did, are you accusing Brent Spiner of knocking down the towers? Wait, no. Brent Spiner? No, no. no, no. There's Only a, there's Dana a... could melt the steel in those towers. Wasn't, wasn't Dana Carvey the turtle man? Yeah, but Brent yeah, Spiner but was the villain in that movie. Oh, and there was uh, probably some embarrassed actor who was... Uh, I feel like they, they needed someone to bring gravitas to that. Uh, the, uh, there's like a very famous piece of IMDb trivia like it like it's shared around as an image just unto itself can you that, define very famous <laughs> I mean that I have seen it posted multiple times over the years uh that uh the filming of like one of the b- big set pieces in Master of Disguise happened on 9/11 and that there was a moment of silence on set like this for mm. some reason somebody decided was worthwhile trivia for the Master of Disguise IMDb trivia section. What was Dana Carvey disguised at during that that moment of silence? I think it, I think that's I think that's the sequence where he is the turtle. Okay. Cuz it's the turtle club sequence. Yep. Uh James Brolin Have, was the distinguished I'm, older uh, character sorry, in I'm, Master of I'm Disguise. Uh, are are you guys saying that you have seen Master of Disguise? I have not oh, I have I have read the Wikipedia summary. At one point, I thought you were going to say you read the novelization. Yeah, I, well, I, I read the source material from which it was adapted. It was, uh, yeah, it was a uh, Proust novel, and it was about disguising ourselves. Yeah. Um. So Ant Man, which is not the master of disguise, nor a Proust. Novel. We don't want to talk more about nine eleven and master of disguise. No, no, no. Yeah. Wait, yeah, the man. very first piece of trivia: the scene at the Turtle Club happened to be filming on September eleventh, two thousand one. When word of the terrorist attacks reached the set, the cast and crew observed a moment of silence. Yeah, and a, the implication a, of this mm. is that there is a second piece of trivia from this. <laughs> there are eight pieces of trivia. Is one about of the master of disguise? Dana Carvey later said, "Make." Master of Disguise was the worst mistake of his career. I don't think he was concerned about his career. I'm pretty sure he made that movie for his kids. Data Carvey, the second piece of trivia. Data Carvey made the the film for his children because the majority of his projects were not suitable for children. And so this project was made to be more family friendly. Did you write this, dude? Is this what we're learning? Hold on. I imagine that the person who wrote that saw the same interview with Dana Carvey that I did back when that movie came out. Dude, did you direct Master of Disguise? <laughs> Perry Adeline Blake. Rip off my to... face, I'm actually Dana Carvey. Here's Dana Carvey looks like a man with no skin. Yeah. Here's a guess for the third piece of trivia. Dana Carvey uh, tra- transformed into a total of, insert number, different costumes in this film. <laughs> Disguises. Eight? Is it is that on there? Oh no! That's, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so you're, you're just counting around oh, the poster. Uh, no, uh, no. All right. I thought I thought you were reading one that I wasn't seeing. The no, third piece of trivia is to date Dana Carvey's last starring role in a film until the Adam Sandler comedy Jack and Jill, 2011 or two. Yeah, 2011. So he was so scarred Wait, by nine eleven. Star in that. Adam Sandler starred in that as two or, roles. Didn't actually, he? No, it was a Dana. Think, it was Dana Carvey in a pair of tour de force performances, <laughs> playing <laughs> Adam Sandler, playing two versions of. Yeah, yeah exactly. This none of this has anything to do with Ant Man. <laughs> Carvey betrayed George Herbert Walker Bush during his tenure. Oh, I knew this was going to be the one. point of Ant Man. In this film, he played George W. Bush Jr. at the end of the film. His name is not George <laughs> W. Bush Jr. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. No, he, I'm just reading what's He's here. talking about George W. Bush's son, right? Oh, it's said in... Of course. Well, the fictional, I, fictional I, son I mean, is George W. Bush Jr. Does not exist. He didn't say George H.W. Bush Jr. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, it's possible the that is actually silence. what they mean. It might be the son of. He might be playing the son of uh, of W. I don't know. Son of again. Son of Bush. No, no, movie. Yeah, it's impossible to say. All the prints were locked away in Dana Carvey's vault. Um, wait, wait, wait. Question: Do any of you know what the name of his character is? Yes, I do. I don't care about any of this. <laughs> there is not one moment in my entire life where I have had one lingering question about anything relating to Master of Disguise. Stefan, would you care to tell us what the name of Dana Carvey's character in Master uh, of Disguise was? It's Pistachio Disguise, right? <laughs> yes. What? No! Yep. No. Yep. Yeah, because, yep. because, because like your, macadamia your incognito would have been too That's not a Roberto Benigni film, Pistachio Disguise. <laughs> I'm I'm like one hundred percent certain that that is a Roberto Benigni film. Uh, what was the name of that uh, Benigni film that we watched in uh, uh, Johnny Roman Toothpicks? Stuff. Pinocchio. Johnny Toothpicks. Pinocchio. Yeah. Uh, Il Nostro uh, is also uh, good. Life is horrible. Um, <laughs> see what I did there? I think that was the tagline for Master of Disguise, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, and then the tagline of Life is Beautiful is, he's a master of disguise. <laughs> so let's talk about Ant-Man. <laughs> Actually, Pistachio Disguise, it translates as, he's a master of disguise. In oh, Italian. Pistachio mm. is not. I actually really like of... this movie, but we really do not want to talk about it. Wait, apparently. Master of Disguise? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ant-Man. no, Ant-Man. Ant-Man. No, that was the no. You said this movie, and that was the last movie that we were referring to. Yeah, you worked your commas wrong. Um, All right. Well, I will now have to go watch Master of Disguise and commit myself to liking it because right, well, I out loud said something that. That's we'll, how we'll, reality works. We'll pick up this recording again in I'm going to guess 74 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. I, I'm pretty sure I still no, have the. Director's cut. It's just 53. <laughs> <laughs> cut out the cruft. It's now it's a pilot. Um, <laughs> That's uh, 47 minutes. It's it, 80 minutes long. You were very 80 close. 80 minutes. Oh, I, I knew uh, it couldn't even reach But he said that. 78, and presumably you're not going to watch the last two minutes of credits. Oh, no, no. Well, yeah, I mean, that's counting credits. Well, you got to watch those bloops. You know they're what bloops. Is, yeah. I, what, no, fucking Samuel L. Jackson shows up to set up the Master of Disguise cinematic yeah. universe. I'm here to talk to you about the Disguise <laughs> Initiative. The uh, MDCU? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> MDCEU. <laughs> um, what, what's the EU for extended. European Union? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Master, yeah, Master of Disguise, European Union. The French loved Master of Disguise. <laughs> the, the other member of the uh, of the the uh, their Avengers Initiative is yeah. Roberto Benigni. Yeah, <laughs> no sense. It's just Dana Carvey and Roberto Benigni, and probably oh, Peter Sellers' yeah. corpse. <laughs> but I bet that that would probably be like a like if. Okay, imagine they staged. A production of My Dinner with Andre, starring Dana Carvey and Roberto Benigni. You'd watch the shit out of that. I mean, yes, absolutely. Will Peter Sellers' corpse be there? Uh, yeah, just seated at the table. It'll so, be, right. it'll be like I mean, that Hitchcock. 
It'll be like the Hitchcock hypothetical about there being a bomb underneath the table, but instead it will be that there's uh, Peter Sellers' corpse under the table, but neither of I them know no about it. I have no idea what you're referring to. But Peter Sellers in a disguise. Yeah, yeah. As he's, an alive yeah, person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he breathes like a real person. Uh, okay, so Ant-Man. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Anyway, I want to know about the Hitchcock, Hitchcock bomb table thing. Okay. Uh, Let's talk about Hitchcock the Hitchcock very bomb famously, We've been like, talking for the 45 exa- minutes. <laughs> What de- de- uh, defined very famously? Hitchcock it's, it's, had this it's, example yeah, to it's, it's very well known. <laughs> yeah, like I learned. I actually learned this from um, Dana Carvey. Uh, no, Mr. Holland's Opus. Uh, Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus. I'm I, Richard I once Dreyfus. Went, I was in Jaws. <laughs> I once went to like for some reason in high school. I went to like a screenwriting workshop that he was running. Uh, <laughs> you for more than 10 years. How have you not told us that you went to a Dreyfus screenwriting know. workshop? For some reason. First of all, how many films has Richard Dreyfus written? Why are you giving to get excuse for why you would do that? The, the, the reason is self-evident. <laughs> no, no, no. I meant he was running for some reason, not that I went to it for some well, reason. Well, that's not what you said. <laughs> you said for some reason I went to a screenwriting workshop that he was running. Anyway. Uh, anyway, so, Hitchcock very famously had this example to explain how suspense works, and he used the example of everybody sitting around, uh, at the dinner table, and there's a bomb underneath, and Mm -hmm. if the audience doesn't know that there's a bomb, there isn't any suspense. The audience needs to be told about the bomb, but everyone else doesn't know about the bomb, so that we're going, oh shit, the bomb, the bomb, the bomb, the bomb, and they're just, like, having their normal conversation. Mm Mm-hmm. So Ant-Man, it was originally supposed to be directed by Edgar Wright, who was on the production for many, many years uh, before ultimately parting ways just shortly before filming was supposed to start. Actors had been cast. uh, I thought that... And he was hired, like, shock, a shockingly long time. He was hired okay. it, was, it was, like, like 2007 after, or yeah, something? Yeah, like, right after Hot Didn't... Fuzz, before Iron Man had come out. But he really? wrote the original script. Yeah. He? he did. Yeah, he's and the like, is this his script? It's, yeah. There are parts of his script in it. Like, they didn't... Yeah, like, yeah like, I, thought, way, I thought that... Uh, he, and, he and his writing partner have the first writing credit, so there's... A, but then there's another writing partner team. Yeah, but that, that, doesn't, is, uh, that doesn't actually mean that any of this script is... Is related, right? Can't can't no. they like use an entirely different script? My, but if like no, but, but, the majority but, but, of then it's a different credit. Yeah, like the way that the Writing Guild of America credit works, there has to be I don't know exactly like the benchmark, but there has to be a substantial amount of the Edgar Wright and I forget his writing partner's name. There has to be a substantial Joe amount Honey. of their scripts still here in this. Oh, yeah, I thought so it was like, they had to do they had to have worked on it for a substantial amount of time, and that in in the end the. Uh, they could no, actually distribute the writing credits however they wanted, and sometimes it's like really strangely. And people who do the majority of the work sometimes don't get credit. That's why Mario all. Puzo. Got I mean, yeah, that that that, that that does sometimes happen. Like there are you know script doctors you know sometimes do like go uncredited, but like the way again, it's very it's very complicated. Like the way that um, arbitration for these sorts of things work. Yeah, but. like my, my my memory is that. Um, the bones of the script, the the structure, was retained from right because they weren't like throwing right away and saying, "Ah, oh, you're doing a terrible job." There was 
um, a a mismatch in priority and a mismatch in aesthetic for what Marvel was trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, Peyton Reed came in. I think uh, Adam McKay and Paul Rudd actually did some of the the rewrites, but it's more a matter of, of tone and and maybe some sequencing than throwing the entire thing out. And one of the key yeah. things that was held on to, even from the earliest of Wright's scripts, which I think was interesting, is the structuring of this. The as, character of Ant Man. Yeah, that's one. Um, but uh, actually, yes, uh, the structuring of this is a legacy story, um, mm, yeah. with the the obvious place that you start if you're going to make an Ant Man film is with Hank Pym, who was the original Ant Man. It has been Ant Man for most of uh, most of the Marvel run. Scott Lang was the second Ant Man in yeah. Marvel Comics, and bringing Scott Lang in as your lead with Hank Pym as an older mentor was a decision carried over from the right days. Yeah. And this is the first the first MCU movie we're seeing where it's not, like, the original version of the character, right? I mean, we've had, like, the first Iron Man, the first Captain America, the first so far, right? I think. Uh, yeah. No, because uh, the first Hulk was Eric Bana, and he does not appear in the MCU. That's true. He's got you there. <laughs> fair enough. All right. Fair enough. Yep. I take it all back. <laughs> yep. Got you there. I take everything I've said tonight, I take back on account of Eric Bana. Yeah. <laughs> And actually, I'm the sorry, first sorry. Captain America, uh, the first Captain America couldn't appear in the MCU because he uh, experienced death too soon. <laughs> I found that funny. Um, so, Ant-Man, uh, our story begins in uh, 1989, where when uh, Hank Pym, played ably by a CGI-assisted de-age of Michael Douglas... Um, what a pretty are you sure that's not the real Michael Douglas? I mean, he, maybe what if, he's aged. What if the maybe agent of Michael off. Douglas is a mask? That's, that's and underneath, possible. he's actually a young Dana Carvey. Mm, what a disguise. <laughs> You've done it again, Pistachio. Um, <laughs> it all so, comes back to the game. Yeah, so... Michael <laughs> and underneath Michael, Pistachio, it's Gene Parmesan. How you doing? Gene! So, So Michael Douglas playing Hank Pym uh, in the, the late 1980s storms into an office populated by uh, John Slattery looking younger than he probably is and Haley Atwell made up to look older playing their beloved characters of Howard Stark and Peggy Carter and also a third guy who we have never <laughs> seen before and for the longest time I assumed was Carlos Jacot but turned out to just be a guy who kind of vaguely <laughs> looked like Carlos Chicot. I mean, he, like, this, is the, this is the super that guy. I, yeah. I didn't look him up, but I've seen him in like a billion things. I think often playing like an FBI agent or something. Yeah. He's got, he's got like generic evil white guy all over him. Yeah. So Hank, uh, Hank Pym resigns from S.H.I.E.L.D. because he's not going to hand over his, his particle technology, which is too dangerous. Uh, and he runs away. Uh, what's the What's the name of the actor who plays the young Howard Stark? The other Dominic Cooper. Because I like I remember after watching that scene, being finding it odd that they didn't have Howard Stark in it. Because I was expecting him made up to look older, and then like ten minutes later, like no, that's who John Slattery was. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just um, mm, I'm not sure you could cast two actors who look less alike to play the same character at different points in life. Like, I kind of wish that they had either just committed to aging Dominic Cooper up or committed to aging John Slattery down. Ah. 
Yeah. Uh, what, I, I mean, I can think of two actors who look less alike who have played the same role. I yeah, guess Danny DeVito in a Marvel film. Danny DeVito guess, and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, twins, yeah. uncanny. No, I was going to say the two uh, Pierre's from Danger Five, one of whom is uh, <laughs> a Frenchman and the I, other of whom is, I believe, Ghanan. I, I think the two Trasks probably set the record. <laughs> <laughs> you win. You win. Yeah. I even and as I was coming up with a joke example, I did think to use Peter Dinklage, but I did not actually make. The, I did not. You got there. So remember that he and Bill Duke look very dissimilar. Well, technically, it's not the MCU. I said in yeah. all the films. Oh, that's. Oh, I didn't say the MCU. <laughs> So yeah, um, we flash we flash forward to. Uh, I'll be right back. I'm gonna go pee. You yeah, talk go, about Ant Man. All right, yeah. We flash forward to Paul Rudd playing himself um, in a prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> getting, Paul uh, Rudd is in prison. Paul Rudd is in prison for a crime he didn't commit. This fall, Paul Rudd is the fugitive. <laughs> Here's the one armed man. Yep. Uh, so Paul Rudd uh, is playing Scott Lang. He is in prison. It's the day he's getting out of prison. Uh, he is picked up by his buddy, uh, whose name I didn't bother to learn. He's just Michael Pena to me. Luis. Luis. Oh, Luis. Yeah, Luis. Uh, we find out a couple of things. First of all, Scott did uh, like a techno burglary job that got him in jail. He did it for the right reasons. Second, yeah, he's like Robin Hood. Yeah, figure. yeah. Second, Scott with is, a cute kid. Yeah, he's a real homeless dad. He just wants his kids back. Um, <laughs> that is entirely accurate. Yes. Yep. Um, third, Scott, despite being kind of a, a dick, has no real negative characteristics that are going to come back to bite him. No particular distance his character must travel over the course of this film. He just, he just kind of is what he is. But he's Paul Rudd, so you forgive him for it and just like him anyway. Yeah. Um. Scott tries to get a job so he can meet his kid again. Uh, He works at Baskin-Robbins, but he gets fired because he lied about being in prison. Everything's very sad. He goes to see his ex-wife, who, of course, is played by Judy Greer. Um, I I don't think he got fired for lying about being in prison. I think he got fired because he had been in prison. I don't know. It was clear that he did not tell them he had been in prison. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not one to try to parse the vagaries of Baskin-Robbins' HR policies, okay? I mean, (laughs) what happens at Baskin-Robbins stays at Baskin-Robbins. They're they're a black box. No one knows what's going on. They're basically a sovereign nation at this point. (laughs) Yeah. 37. No government can manage so many flavors. Yeah, I think Baskin-Robbins started in Glendale, California. I I don't know why I know that. (laughs) I don't even know whether that's true. (laughs) This has been Ant-Man fans. So you have a connection to Glendale, California? I'm going to fact check you on that because you just said you didn't know if it was true. I don't know. You just said that. We cannot spread this information on this podcast. Uh, no. f- founded by Burt Baskin and Irv Robbins. Well, I guess that kind of could have guessed that. In Glendale, California. Boom! <laughs> you are this podcast's foremost Baskin Robbins expert. Do you have a connection to Glendale, California? Is there a reason this Glendale factoid was in connection your- to Irv Robbins? I slept on my friend's couch in Glendale for three months. Uh, when I, was it across I the street there. from the plaque? Or the, the, the there was a Baskin feet. a couple blocks away, but as I recall, I learned that fact some years later. I probably just remembered it because I had been in Glendale. So at the time, I you really didn't recognize that it might have actually been the Baskin Robbins. Like, I, like I, a... 
This is like a Grandpa Simpson conversation. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I was, I was, back then, nickels had pictures of bees on them. Give me five bees for a like a hundred foot so tall anyway. statue of Baskin and Robin. Yep. Yeah, you said 36 Wait, flavors. Can you give me one that's less spicy? Uh, and they said, oh, okay, we'll add one more. Didn't Baskin and Robin make those old, uh, like, Frosty the Snowman, like, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer shows the on, uh, they, they on the television? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, so Ant-Man. Um, Scott's Fudgy the Whale! Yep. Rankin Bass, come Rankin on. Bass. So we go, oh, to, the, we we go to the Rankin Bass factory, or rather, Hank Pym goes back to the Rankin Always Bass Always explain factory. the joke, dude. Always explain the joke. Hank I mean, that's it may, it's funnier. That's that's the Watson Jones rule of comedy. Well, and because Rankin Bass made things with miniatures, and we're about to talk about things that are miniature. Um, so we go. Well we, done. Uh, old Hank Pym goes to Pym Technologies, his old company, which he is now kicked out of, and we meet uh, Corey Stoll playing Darren Cross. Cross, which really does sound like a ah, we'll come up with the real name later. Kind of yeah, screen yeah, it does. They're like, who's, who's the evil guy in Chinatown? Noah Cross. Uh, okay, we'll take that last name. Call him Darren. Uh, yeah. That'll sit in there for, for I just a while. realized I misspoke and I referred to uh, them as screenwriters <laughs> instead of screenwriters. Yeah. Um, uh, I would also like to point out that in my notes uh, for this, I always refer to him as bald guy from the first season of House of Cards. Yep. I would also yeah. accept uh, Hemingway from Midnight in Paris. Um, Never seen it. He's okay. also the, the, he's also on The Strain, which yep, was he is. pretty oh. good for a couple seasons. Yep. I like right. this actor a lot. I like Corey yeah. Stoll a lot. He's given virtually nothing to do in this film because he's oh Darren God, Cross, the man true. not worthy of an actual name. Um <laughs> He does yeah, his okay. best with the rule. Somewhere out there, someone named Darren Cross is crying. <laughs> so what we find out is uh, Darren was, uh, was... Not because of this, because they're no, not listening. No. They're just crying. No. Because yeah. um, Darren... they have a placeholder name. Exactly. Yeah, they're, at, they're down at the courthouse. Uh, so uh, Darren was Hank Pym's protege. He took over Hank's company in a, a hostile takeover. And now he is close to replicating Hank's old shrinking technology. And there's obviously some some trust issues there. And in case there was uh, any doubt that Darren would be the villain of this film, he kills a man in a bathroom within five minutes of us meeting him by shrinking him into a small glob of putty. To be yeah, fair, really- he had all he had already revealed his like incredibly super villainy plan for what the yellow jacket was for. Yeah, including like a gray grew style like the Earth covered in yellow graphic. It it's was pretty true. clear he was the super villain already, but yes, yeah. then he and decides to kill a man for vi- voicing very tepid criticism of yeah. this plan. And there is this that guy s- is like, I'm not a hundred percent on board. You must die. There's also that slightly clumsy moment when uh, the the random you know guy who's you know considering buying into the project decides not to because he thinks it's too risky, and mm-hmm. then Cross puts his hand menacingly on the guy's yeah, shoulder yeah. and says. We should talk about this later. And and the yeah. guy literally looks at the hand to yes. you know lamp yeah, it for the viewer. You expect that he's been infected with some sort of wasting <laughs> right. disease. He's been given the thinner. Right. Or you know, did he did he put some sort of exploding bomb chip in his shoulder or something? No, yeah. he's just gonna it's... catch up with him later and shrink him in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, something it... slightly less plausible than an exploding bomb chip. 
yeah. He, he basically turns to camera and says, I'm evil. Yeah. It's really thing. lucky that this giant corporation doesn't have, like, a sign-in sheet. Nope. And that this guy has no family, <laughs> has no one to report, no one who will ever report him missing. Yep. He doesn't own a cat. I, all the guys he came there with are just I mean, content to yeah. leave without him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. when for someone goes given, to the bathroom, I forget they exist for the rest of my life. Yeah. Particularly given that the people he's selling this to all seem to be either, like, the heads of, like, major military mm-hmm. contractors or, like, hostile governments. Yeah. But clearly no one's going to pay attention to this guy. So what what does this PIM company do besides sell this thing that doesn't work? Completely. In the, like, 20 years since Completely Michael Douglas was forced out of this this company. I don't think we... Because it's yeah, been a I, long time, here, right? here's, what, here's what we're told. We're told that Michael Douglas has invented an incredible, t- world-changing new technology, and that he mm-hmm. refuses to share it with the world. We're then yeah, told he keeps it all himself. Yeah, we're then told that he has founded this incredibly large and successful... Uh, a technology company, building. research company. He founded building. a building. That's true. He built a building. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And to be th- fair, he may have built a model and just made it larger. We don't know. True. Yeah. So we, yeah, we, we know we, that the building gets water. So there must be water involved. Yeah. And there's computers. Mm. But we, yeah, we don't ever actually learn like what he did. Maybe he was just like, I mean, he's in the Bay Area. Maybe he just rode the dot com craze and cashed out at the right time. Could be that. I mean, yeah. I mean, I he mean, was forced out in, like, was it 89? 88? No, no, he, he left S.H.I.E.L.D. in 89. Cross forced him out, oh. so it couldn't have been more than, oh, yeah. like, five or ten years before the film. Yeah. Otherwise, okay. Cross but also, like, 12. Like, we do well, his daughter also helped, so, yeah, she had to have been, you know, an adult. Yeah, we know his yeah. daughter We know his daughter was seven. Let's triangulate this. Well, wait a minute. She was, when did Lost End? 2009? Mm, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. yeah so, it right can't have been more than, like, nine years. Well, when did this movie come out? This came out in 2015, but she she was one of... So that's, in, like, six years? But she was in one of them Hobbits in between, so she would have been busy. Mm, okay. All right. Yeah. That checks out. That checks out. Um, yeah. Okay. I mean, later we do see that the, a PIM product, which is the signal decoy, and MacGuffin, that is very thoroughly explained. We entirely know what it does. Yep. Don't worry. Well, I mean, it shrank the building, didn't it? Didn't it? No, no, that's not what, that's not what the signal nope. decoy did. Oh, okay. No, the signal, de- the signal decoy uh, burned another film off of Anthony Mackie's contract. But we'll get to that. <laughs> mm. um, okay, so, uh, Ant-Man. Scott is uh, down on his luck. He can't see his daughter because uh, his very sympathetic and understanding ex-wife and also her fiance, her cop fiance, who is also really just a nice guy and probably a good father figure for the daughter. Um, they don't want the, uh, the ex-con, uh, father who can't support himself to be around the daughter. So Scott decides the way to resolve this is he's going to commit one last crime with his crime buddies who include Michael yeah. Pena um, that guy who was like one of the Joker's henchmen in the Dark Knight, um, mm-hmm. and, and he was in the new, uh, he was in Twin Peaks: The Return. He was, and uh, yeah. rapper Ti. Mm-hmm. Um, was he born in '89? I don't know what Ti. Ti eighteen eighty. Ti eighty. Yep. Um, it's a calculator joke. My favorite calculator. No, no, was um, it a T? I, th- I feel like we had TI 88s. I can't remember. I thought I had. Was it an 89 or an 84? I had an 89. I'm pretty I had sure. An 89. Yeah. Well, I was in. I was in. Uh, you know, math a, a few years before. You weren't. Was the TI 88 <laughs> an abacus? 
<laughs> before before our, before us young whippersnappers. Yeah. Um, okay. That so, was the uh, the CI eighty eight. Yeah. Yeah. BC eighty eight. Um, so Scott uh, decides he's going to commit one more crime uh, with his his crime buddies, and they're going to rob an old man's safe. And so yeah. they go into this old man's house, and we get a demonstration of all the reasons why Scott's a, a burglar or a good burglar, uh, which is very important in establishing that he has any credibility, because the only thing we've seen him do so far is be Paul Rudd and get fired. Um, uh, he did punch a guy in the face. But not well. well there's also, there's oh, also he, this... he hit the guy in the face well. He just didn't hit him in the body well. That's true. There's also this kind of ridiculous moment as uh, the robbery is starting and uh, Paul Rudd, uh, a.k.a. Paul Rudd's stunt double, leaps over uh, the fence and T.I. is like, whoa! Or, he's in good <laughs> he's, shape! Wow! It's like, okay! He's just right to get with his sell, shirt off later! Trying to sell Paul Rudd as this action star. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty great. <laughs> um, so he goes in, he breaks into this uh, heavily uh, heavily reinforced old safe and finds uh, a with suit. With ice water. Inside. Yeah, with ice water. And finds a suit and a helmet inside. Uh, it was with regular water and liquid nitrogen. Oh. Okay. Yeah, so he I did, he didn't like... just pour a glass of ice water onto the safe. <laughs> <laughs> Although the movie does seem to suggest that the safe was made out of the same steel as the Titanic. And the movie seems to suggest that the reason the Titanic sank is because it was cold. <laughs> I thought they were saying that the metal ripped because it was cold. The metal's element well, is yeah. fire. But that's the reason it sank. <laughs> I thought that metal was generally considered an earth element. Mm. What's uh, what's a good metal Pokemon, Bester? Uh, Onyx? Mm. Lucario? Lucario is always pretty strong. It's not, it's um, not a metal Pokemon. Steelix? You're right, it's probably a... Yeah. Steelix, oh, that yeah. sounds like it's got Caesar. Caesar is uh, always great. Mega Caesar is fucking incredible. Caesar is part grass, isn't he? Isn't he grass? No, he's bug. Okay, bug. That's bug steel. Um, What's a Pokemon? <laughs> yeah. It's a monster that fits in your pocket. <laughs> yeah. Uh, excuse me, I am familiar with monsters in my pocket. Yeah. And yeah. they are classic monsters. They are not. Aegis Lash was super during, uh, during XY. He was pretty fucking great. Oh my god. Anyway. Kyle XY? Kyle XY doesn't have a belly button. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's literally the only thing I know about. I don't even. I, I don't, don't think Caesar has a belly button either. Couldn't tell, couldn't tell you anything more about that show. I don't know what Kyle XY looks like. Because I've only ever seen the poster of him. I'm pretty sure that he, he has no shirt. <laughs> I think that is that is what Kyle looks like. Yeah. He had a shirt uh, and he was uh, picking it up to show of, that he didn't have a belly Grand button. Auto. But I don't know no what he looks like. No shirt. Repeat. No shirt. Um, <laughs> There's a man with we no shirt. Real, Repeat. We think we this is Kyle XY. Anyway, uh, Ant-Man, so, uh, <laughs> Scott... If I had no belly button, I feel like I would... There's one thing that I would always do, and that is wear a shirt. <laughs> so, Scott decides to take the suit anyway, because he was expecting a lot of money, and he takes the suit almost out of frustration. And then he starts Burns examining it. There's weird, suit. There's, weird, <laughs> there's weird things about the suit. Uh, like these little uh, little containers of red liquid. And so like any sensible uh, cat burglar at the end of his rope, he puts the suit on and starts pressing buttons. Uh, yeah. Well, he, he does, he, he's got a master's in electrical engineering, and we see him like poke it with those little metal chopsticks that electrical engineers have connected to a thing. 
<laughs> the metal well, what he's trying to do is get his masters in disguise. About. No, no, no. This is it's like one of those things that like shows you how they. It's not a soldering iron. It's like it shows you where the uh, electrical yeah, connections yeah, yeah. are. That little thing that comes with the iPhone so that you can take out the oh, simulator. Yeah, that's what it's called. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stick with metal chopsticks. Also, also, I should point out, Jim Carrey was considered for the role of Pistachio Disguise. <laughs> this wasn't a passion project for Carvey? Or was he originally <laughs> intending to direct but not star? Um, Wait, Jim Carrey the idea- or The Mask? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe the idea was that, like, Pistachio Disguise in his default non-disguise would be played by Jim Carrey, but in disguise he would be played by Dana Carvey to really show what a great disguiser he was. We've talked so much about Master of Disguise in the course of the actual episode that I can't cut out all of the preamble now. I am I am really getting hungry for some pistachios. I uh, just side note uh, in about as opposed to the main note we're on right yeah, now. Yeah. In a, yeah, this you is, can just say no. In about fifty minutes, I might have to duck away quickly. Uh, uh, I ordered a pizza to be delivered at seven forty-five, so that's the bomb under the table. Well, um, that's like two hours I, and ten minutes ago. There we go. And now we, and now we know. Now we have a sense of suspense. So he's got the suit. Could on. you order me a pizza to be delivered at seven forty-five? Yeah, but that was two hours ago. You'll never get it now. <laughs> anyway, Aww. so he tried. Or did you already? Whoa! He tried. If you pulled up a piece of pizza right now, I would. What if there was a pizza on my porch, like right the now? world's friendliest video drone? <laughs> that'd be incredible. That'd be incredible if you just suddenly had pizza. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's a truism. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's fair. So Scott tries on this suit. He presses buttons. He shrinks himself. There are two sentences I know that will always be true. This too shall pass away, and that would be incredible if you suddenly lifted up a piece of pizza. Um, Go ahead. He shrinks himself. Listeners, He's running listeners, around. I would just like to explain it's been a long time since we've recorded. We are apparently very loopy right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I'm drinking alcohol that has caffeine in it. No! <laughs> um, mix your up as My name is Derek Long. I'm a drunkard. Hey, no. That's no. <laughs> I need that. <laughs> no, I need Sorry, that. my name is Dr. Derek Long. <laughs> I'm a teetotaler. Derek Ruddleblog. Anyway. No, no, it's Derek Long, the uh, the other one, the, the, the video star. Yeah, the star, star, the, star, the, the video Knox artist. Yes. <laughs> Knox Harrington. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, he tries on the suit, he shrinks himself, he goes through some fantastic voyage stuff, not like in someone's body, but mostly just like being small. So more like What's some that other one that's like, not, not fantastic voyage? The one from like the 80s. Interspace. No, no, the interspace. Yeah, interspace. Yeah, interspace. It. The black hole. Yep. So he, I he jumps. He jumps around a bit. Why am in I his, in his suit as a small man? Um, and then he panics and grows himself back and decides, oh shit, I got to return this suit. And he goes to return the suit and gets arrested. Uh, when he is in jail, he is visited. Thanks a lot, cops. Yeah. When he's in jail, he gets visited by Michael Douglas, who speaks some mysterious stuff to him. And then uh, some ants. And for some reason, ants seem to be covering the lens of the security camera. This is a motif. I've watched this movie twice, and I do not understand what was happening. (laughs) Uh, Two and a half times, actually. 
<laughs> so the ants uh, eventually bring Scott the suit, help him break out of prison, but it looks like he vanishes out of prison. And Scott ends up meeting up with Hank and with Hank's daughter, Hope, who doesn't like Hank very much. Uh <laughs> Yeah. Sorry to interrupt I don't you, like anyone. Oh no, that hasn't much. happened to this podcast. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Interrupt you again, I should say. Um, I think it's worth pointing out that uh, the that one of the cops, uh, not is Bobby Carnival, is Avon Barksdale. He's gone straight. He, he's right. out the game. I mean, is is not the fictional character Avon Barksdale? We don't know that. Do, no, <laughs> we do not know <laughs> that. that. It's true. I guess we never could be the master of disguise. It's Gale. His name is Gale yeah. in the film, so that's just a hop, skip, and a jump. But in any case, it is definitely the actor Wood Harris. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, noted actor also, Wood Harris. Also, I like to believe the dude legitimately does not understand how the ants were doing that. Let's talk like, about somehow- <laughs> How could ants swarm a camera? Ants don't even Why? understand cameras. Not how? I, I would ask, I would put a question to the senator. How do Someone those probably ants left some delicious that honey camera? on that lens? <laughs> we didn't see no honey on the lens. If if we do not I, see honey, we that's cannot the ants had already taken it back to their ant colony. Extra textual. Why did Why did we go to Southern Lawyer? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I thought she was gone. <laughs> anyway. Why did we go to Hyperspace Chicken? Uh, well, it's a hop, skip, and a jump from Southern Lawyer. Uh, okay, so. We're back. Uh, we're back. Okay. Take a deep breath. This is going to be a hell of an episode. I don't think we've been here. I'd say, I would say we are here for the first we've time. Arrived. We're just arriving. Yeah. Um, those man. other guys. Yeah. Those other guys, we kicked them out of the studio. Yep. So, yeah, they yeah. had some terrible Someone else got a hold of the microphones. Yeah. I think so, I, I really want to make a Danny DeVito Always Sunny at Philadelphia <laughs> reference, but it would be a racial joke that would make and be entirely offensive. Out of or in context. Well, just just change the slur to wombats. So, I think he was a wombat. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, anyway, so we have the Frank's Little Beauties episode. You guys, yeah, have hey, hey, sorry. Hey. Okay, I'll, I'll... <laughs> he was not diddling those kids. Nope. He was not older than my wife, older than my daughter. <laughs> okay. Go so. on. We get uh, we get some ex- we get some exposition now where the plot is laid out in stark terms, not that stark. No, um, no in pim terms. Not to, in pim terms. In pim terms. Here's the, here's the bottom line. Uh, Corey Stoll has almost replicated Hank's technology. If he does, it'll be very very dangerous. Hank needs someone who can get into Corey Stoll's facility and steal the yellow jacket suit that would harness the shrinking technology so that it doesn't fall into the wrong hands. And he has got Scott to do it based on the notoriety of his uh, previous virtuous burglary of the company that he worked for that was doing bad things. So, can I just... The, I, I, I have a question here. Is are Why we were the ants on the camera? Are, are we meant to assume that if he steals this suit, that... That that will solve all of the problems. I mean, we, he does not know how to produce another suit. We we and see as the plan research anywhere as the plan unfolds. We do see that he is. Uh, they're also going to explode the data and the facility and like yeah, yeah. try to destroy. Oh, all this stuff. yeah. Actually, I mean, yeah, they do you mean implode? Because I feel like they imploded it. That's fair. Yeah, That's yeah, fair. they imploded. It was never just a heist. Yeah, it was also an implosion. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I think I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I think stealing the Yellow Jacket prototype is, like, the most, like, the easiest part of the heist to explain to the audience, but I think, you know, I think the real meat of what they're doing is destroying the data. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And this is, we assume this is, like, a military technology company, so they're probably not storing the shit on Dropbox. Um, <laughs> no. I don't know, I feel like that's exactly the kind of thing that a military, like, industrial... Ah, also, we didn't get also, the we also know that he's in the process. Corey Stoll is in the process of going insane. This is yes. established because of the pin particles. So we have no idea yeah. what sort of security he's even involved Wait, in right did now. You say he pimp might just be particles. Yeah, the pimp particles. Yep. No pimp articles. Yeah, yeah. So he's wearing yeah, that hat. The article to hide of Confederation, but for pimps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John Hancock was the first president. Um, okay, so Ant Man. Uh, we see a training montage where uh, a few things happen. One, uh, Scott learns how to talk to ants, and we learn a bunch about different species of ants. Two, uh, Scott <laughs> jumps through uh, the keyhole of a door after failing yep. several times. Uh, Evangeline Lily beats up Scott a whole bunch, but then sees him with his shirt off, and he's mm. like, ooh, Paul Rudd got a good trainer for this film. Um, I mean... I mean, yes. Yes, he did. You know, Good God, Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd's I, been an attractive to, man forever, and holy shit. I listened to some of that uh, that commentary, and someone on the commentary said that it's not a coincidence that Paul Rudd rhymes with stud. And I would like to assert that I'm pretty sure that is a coincidence. <laughs> I mean, do we know for a fact that Paul Rudd is his name? It might be a stage name. Dude, you are so ready for your Fox News well, show. I, I knew it. I worked. I used to work with a guy at Circuit City whose name was Aaron Rudd, and he told me that Paul Rudd is actually his uncle. And so I think that Rudd is the family name, but I, I don't know whether that guy was lying. That guy could have been lying, but he yeah. didn't seem like a liar. He seemed like a good guy. Well, uh, according to Wikipedia, his, Paul Wikipedia, his Wikipedia page says that his name is Paul Stephen Rudd. So. And Wikipedia loves dead naming people who've changed their name, so I imagine that is his name. Close the book on that one, Dana. Um, okay, so the plot is established. We see Scott do his training thing. We learn that uh, Hope is angry at Hank because there was a mission where Hank's wife, who was the Wasp when he was Ant-Man... Hope's uh, mother. Yep, Hope's mother. Yep, uh, supposedly sacrificed her life. Um, by shrinking too small. So she did this in such... She doesn't know that yet. No, she doesn't know that. Like, he's been he's been lying about it. She's also mad because he's a fucking asshole to he, her. He does not treat her well. But then he That's explains everything. Fucking asshole. Um, and we learn all this stuff. And we also learn that uh, we don't get to see the wife's face in this film because she hasn't been cast for the next film yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, we will assume part... that she looks like Michelle Pfeiffer did in exactly. 1989. There's a, there's a part where he, like, stares lovingly at a photo of the two of them on a picnic, and she's very strategically not facing the camera. Got a big like, well, obvi Obviously, this is the photo I want to save of that day, the day when I can't see her. Yeah, like, they're this not even photo. giving us hair color in that photo. <laughs> um, it's very conspicuous. So we'll just have to wait for Ant-Man's special edition, where they digitally insert some Michelle Pfeiffer. Into that's that true, photo. some 1989 Michelle <laughs> they Pfeiffer. Digitally they digitally insert Hayden Christensen into the role. <laughs> <laughs> My original yeah. vision is that she would be named Meow Pfeiffer. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a really obscure reference. <laughs> I got it. I know. I know what you're doing. Anywho. Um, okay, so at this point, uh, Scott is sent to go steal this... What's it called again? Disruptor... Signal, signal blocker. blocker. Wikipedia signal. refers to it as device. <laughs> uh, let me check my notes. It's in here somewhere. Signal decoy. He goes to steal this signal decoy from an old base that Howard Stark kept it at where it's been decommissioned. But, oh, the base is actually the Avengers base. Uh-oh. And uh, Scott has a bit of a, a tussle with, um, all due respect to the Falcon, a second-tier, more affordable Avenger. He's not fighting Robert Downey Jr. That is, that is I mean, generous. That is generous to describe Sam Wilson as a second-tier Avenger. I'm giving more credit I mean, to Anthony is, Mackie as an actor than I am to Sam Wilson as a character. No, he is, he he's, is the first, he's the first... He's the first... No, wait. Black Widow would be the first... No. Hawkeye would be the first edition to the Avengers who does not have his own film, right? Then Black Widow, and then Falcon? Oh, shit. Uh, I think Black Widow came first, because I think Iron Man 2 came out before Thor. I don't Uh, think so. If only there were a record of these things that we have already consumed. (laughs) Also, also, I thought for a moment he was going to say that that he was the first Black Avenger, and then he went, no, wait, Black Widow, and I'm like, Black Widow is not Black. I was convinced that was where (laughs) we were going, and I'm so glad that... I waited for you to finish the sentence before I left. <laughs> We're all very uh, No, I was trying to say, you know, in terms of second tier, because, like, primary, first tier would be anyone who's had their own film, right? Yeah. And then second tier would be the people who have not had their own film. Yes. Yeah. Or introduced um, in the film of another. Yeah, Thor came out after Iron Man 2. Introduced in the film of another. Oh, was it? Okay, my mistake. Yeah, my mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, whatever. It's okay. okay. All, but yeah, but also he is te- he is technically an Avenger at this point. He is yep, part he of is. the, you know, the po- post Ultron team of Avengers. Yep. Uh so they they have a little tussle. Uh Sam gets kind of em- embarrassed about uh about getting beaten up by little Ant-Man. Um and says that everyone should lie to Cap. Yeah. Uh, it, it would really mean a lot to me if Cap didn't know about this. Um question. Yeah. Have I feel you, like have what he's doing seen... is trying to solicit some lies to Captain America, which yeah. is just, I feel that's like that's no-no. just wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You can't lie to Captain He's an American hero, and he outranks you. That's You're true. both in the military. Yeah, what are you doing? Don't superior officer, man. Also, is this the first time we see, like, a point-of-view shot from the, uh, from the Falcon? Because I was surprised to learn that he has high-tech goggles. I just thought he was wearing sea goggles. I don't know. We'll have to go back and you watch. You thought that he just had off the rack speed <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely did. I absolutely did. I'm the just fact that he could my eyes, a bug could get in there. Did you think that those were off the rack collapsible wings as well? <laughs> yeah, he got him at sports no, no, authority no. during no, the liquidation. No, I, I, I want. They explained the wings in Winter Soldier. They did not explain that he had like advanced targeting technology in his goggles. <laughs> Cut and dry case. You can't assume what's in the film if you're not explicitly shown. Yeah. Show don't oh, that's tell. true. Yeah, that's why I we mean, can't assume yeah. there's no. There could be a in bomb place. in those goggles, but it wouldn't mean anything to us. <laughs> it's, why we, it's why we can't assume. <laughs> okay, yes, so uh, he steals the. What's it called again? Decoy signal? Signal decoy. Signal decoy. Ah, when, he right. pulls it, when he puts I it on the. Uh, it. 
Are you saying what is Sigmund he... Decoy? Yeah, is yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, Sigmund Decoy and the Sea Monsters. Yeah. Okay. Billy Barty. When he pulls the when he pulls it out and puts it on the counter. It looks like it's going to be bigger, right? Like, it looks oh, yeah, like something really that's small. been shrunk down and it's going to yeah. get big. But they never do that, right? Nope. It never becomes just, big. It becomes a really object. small thing, yeah. It's it's like the size of a roll of quarters. Yep. Okay. So they're they're getting ready to uh, – they got they got their signal decoy now. Um, they're suspicious that uh, that Darren Cross is on to their plan. So they got to – Because shake. he tells them. Because he tells them. He comes by and basically <laughs> says, I'm on to your plan. Ha! He doesn't just come by. He's just in the house. In a bitch in leather jacket, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> kind of like Wally Brando in Twin Peaks The Return. Have you been watching Twin Peaks The Return lately? I Wally watched it Brando? Is this like the grandson of Marlon Brando? This is Michael Sarah. Uh, he's named for Marlon Brando, and he's played by Michael Sarah. Uh, and it's the most amazing scene in the entirety of Twin Peaks. All right, this is the this is the first. Like, I mean, I've been meaning to watch Twin Peaks The Return. This is the first detail I've heard that was like, yes, I'm absolutely going to watch. He this. has he has one scene. And it is the most amazing scene possibly ever on film. Like, this defines the term cinematic as it applies to television. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't apply. <laughs> Televisual is the word you want. Televisual. Are you sure? Because I feel like cinematic as a word means uh, reminiscent of cinema. So, and yeah, but it doesn't fucking need not to be reminiscent cinema, of cinema. Television Going back to something. Television should not be bound to other mediums' uh, qualities. Cinematic doesn't mean that it, it's not binding. It, it's com- it's comparable. It's a word that implies it's, that it is comparable. It's implying, to cinema. It's implying a cultural hierarchy where cinema is better than television, and that's bullshit. I don't think it's implying a, a, a quality. It's just saying that it is akin to. Let's return to something else that is akin to cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's return. More like just irrelevant, say, man. All right. I would so. just like to say that the film debut of Jessica Lee Keller was Master of Disguise. Who is Jessica Lee Keller? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. That's, is this piece of trivia number six? Uh, what? At this two, point, we're probably around four. four. It's, yes, it is piece of trivia number six. That sounds like a sixth piece of trivia. <laughs> Um, okay, so, uh, now, oh no, Darren Cross is on to us, we need to shake things up, we need more hands, fortunately we have those three wombats from earlier, uh, which are, are, at this point, I believe, Mexican friend, black friend, and Russian friend, um, indeterminate Eastern European accent guy, yes, who, who thinks that Ant-Man's shrinking technology is the work of gypsies, um, so, okay, let's see what happens now. Um, they decide that they're going to break in. They go in. The heist starts going. The heist doesn't go very well, although everyone's kind of doing their best. Um, because Cross is on to them. Yada, yada, yada. Cross escapes with the yellow. It goes pretty well. Okay. All things considered, the objective is completed and no one dies. So I guess that's good. Um, the thing implodes. There's a fucking great line where it's like, you thought you could stop the future with just a heist. And he goes, it was never just a heist. And fucking implosion. Aunt Anthony, the the ant that oh, yeah. uh, Paul Rudd bonded with, he did die. And there's this beautiful how? shot of a single ant wing slowly twirling to it the It doesn't matter how. It's a movie. You can <laughs> shoot an ant in a movie. <laughs> 
<laughs> no further questions. No, no further questions. I, I'm not even going to try and ask the question I actually was going to ask. Nope. <laughs> Moving on. Um, no, but how did you see this? Like, people are amazingly able to clock a swarm of ants, at, like, in the middle of the night. And how do you shit? What if, what if he doesn't right need ants? a HUD? What if he just has. What if that is his power? He can see ants at night. Yeah. What if everyone has a power what and you don't particles? know what it is? What if the pin particles just what made him crazy so now Dick he just Bester sees ants everywhere? Could not be crushed by a meteor in winter. Any everyone else on Earth could. So you December twenty second. Would you ever learn that? December twentieth. I don't know. Dead. Everyone everyone contains a secret world. Yeah. And that's beautiful. <laughs> I'm just trying that's to say beautiful. what if everyone had a power and you just never find out because it's like, you know, on a Tuesday you can't be hurt if someone refers to you as Jeff. So, but Jeff is not your name, so, so no one ever does that. So Darren Cross's power you, no, wait, wait. is getting into the <laughs> yellow jacket suit no, 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 very no, no, quick. No, shut, shut up, shut up, Stefan. Shut up, Stefan. Are you saying <laughs> that I wouldn't be hurt by being miscalled Jeff, or I can't be hurt by anything? Like, on Tuesdays, it doesn't hurt my feelings to be called Jeff? Or what am I, I impervious if I was called Jeff? Yeah. What I was theorizing is, if someone calls you Jeff on a Tuesday, nothing will hurt you I'm gonna on that a, day. I'm going to get a t-shirt it doesn't apply you, and that t-shirt is just going to say, if no one's called you Jeff. to Jeff. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Okay, so, Darren Cross gets into the yellow jacket suit very, very quickly. Um, well, we saw Paul Rudd do it in like eight seconds. That's so. true. Paul Rudd's very talented, though. We don't, we and, don't... I mean, Corey Stoll has probably been practicing. It's true, yeah, and he's he looks like he's in good shape. Um, so they they looks like so they proceed to have a shrinking, growing fight that spans a few different scenes and includes such things as uh, Scott's daughter being held hostage and an ant being grown to a giant size and a fun chase scene on a Thomas the Tank engine, and that really bothered me for a minute. Oh, because first I... of all. I'm not sure I have ever seen a Thomas the Tank Engine toy that is also a functioning model train. So, how many my... Thomas the Tank Engine toys have you seen? They definitely, they definitely have. As somebody who was working in, in a toy store on two separate occasions for a year, like a year long occasion, uh, they definitely have Thomas what? the Tank Engine. I thought you trains. meant like two shifts. That, that was a very right. obtusely structured sentence. <laughs> Okay. They, they also have Thomas the Tank Engines oh, with articulating eyes, yeah. like on like the real Thomas on the cold, island. Of dead eyes, like a doll's eyes. Wait I a think, minute. I think some What's, of the toys they just roll Define over. real Thomas. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't look a thing like the real Thomas. The one who lives in the dystopian wasteland where the, fasc- uh, the fascist else- island is. Are soda. we talking about the George Carlin host or we're, like? We're talking Alec about Baldwin. the one from the uh, no, the no, third book of the Dark with- Tower. <laughs> I'm not familiar uh, with his work. Yeah. I'm not familiar with Thomas's work. Anyway, there's a fight. It's charming. There's some shrinking and growing stuff in it. It ends up it's with... Um, so Scott turns off his regulator. We haven't even talked about the regulator. Basically, the thing that keeps him from shrinking too small. He decides he's going to shrink too small. He shrinks too small. Yeah. No, no. There was, there was very much like a don't mess with the regulator thing. Yeah, in the don't cross and, the streams. It was a don't yeah, cross yeah. the streams moment. And then the solution is to cross the streams. Amazing. What, dude? 
Nothing. <laughs> you, you just sounded like someone explaining Ghostbusters to someone. I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember the regulators for a rap group. The, the regulators. Um, okay. Sounds so like a ska band. He shrinks too small. He destroys like some internal things in Cross's suit. Cross's suit like crunches him up in a real kind of gruesome way, and then he disappears. Uh, yes. Scott's in like a weird quantum world. But he reactivates the quantum the realm. Yeah, but he comes back and everything's okay. And his uh, ex-wife and his ex-wife. And he, he came back just because just because he had one of those embiggening devices, yeah, right? He had his embiggener. Pretty much. Okay. It's it's kind of amazing because like there's a big speech that Michael Douglas gives about how like you'll be shrinking forever, and this yeah. speech is playing during it, and then he pretty much immediately figures out how to get out of the quantum realm. He is not in yeah. the quantum yeah. realm very long. No, because he has an embiggener. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. It's a perfectly plot device. The smallest regulator embiggens the noblest soul. (laughs) So the noblest soul embiggens himself. He makes a. uh, He and Judy Greer are getting along fine now. Uh, He and Judy Greer. Unlike before, where they weren't already getting along well. Yeah, they're getting like he's 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 allowed to come to dinner now because he's a superhero. They're a with Andre. Yeah, it's like when Bubbles runs up the stairs at the end of the wire. Like you know how you know how important that is. Um, they have that moment, and then uh, he gets like a, another call from Michael Payne, uh, who tells him a long-winded story that basically ends with the the punchline is, "Oh, the Falcon's looking for you," and I basically told him where to find you. Cut to black, um, yeah. and then we get a mid-credits scene that is actually just a scene from Captain America: Civil War. <laughs> yeah, when did they? Th- there have been like four of these post-credit scenes that are then used in a later film. So there was that, the one from Captain America: First Avenger. Captain America: First Avenger was the okay. post-credit scene. Was like the boxing scene, the like the the punching bag scene from the Avengers. Okay. Wasn't that, I thought it was him waking mm. up and like going into very CGI Times Square. That was wasn't that wasn't Avengers. post-credit. That was just the last scene. Then there was this one. There may have been one or two more. There's the one with, uh, with maybe it's a later film, with uh, Doctor Strange and Thor. That's later. Yeah, that's a later. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, but that scene doesn't actually, but, but like it's, it's, it's different than what it is. Like it's not the same scene. It's not like they, it's not, okay. It's, it's, it's a little different. Um, because they change a lot of what, like where Odin is in uh, Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of rewrite that goes into. Yeah, because I think in that scene he's played by Sam Neill, right? Yep. And yeah. Then the, and then there's okay. the, there's uh, the post credit scene from The Punisher where Dolph Lundgren's yeah, yeah. character is now played by uh, uh, Ray Stevenson, John Travolta. I, I almost the, said, boy, the boy in the plastic bubble. I almost <laughs> said Ray Winstone. And I would love to see Ray Winstone play the Punisher. Um, I, I'm going to be honest. I only recently realized those weren't the same guy. And I was like, he's got a lot of rage. He looks so different in different movies. <laughs> he got himself in a really kinda good like, shape for those like, films. Kind of like Ann Dowd and Margot Martindale. And you're like, what? Yep, exactly Are like them. <laughs> that is that's an incredibly corner case reference. Yes. Margot Martindale and Dowd. Okay, let me see here. Uh, one of them's blonde. That's probably never changed. Mm-mm. <laughs> anyway. So, Ant-Man. Um, what, what Margo you guys, Martin. What, 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 man? What, Did you... 
Did you say Can't Man? Can't Man. Are you a Can't Man or an White Man Can't Jump? That movie. Ant Man. Ant Man Can't Jump. Anti Man. Woody Harrelson's just like, oh, I can't believe that Ant Man dunked on me. Um, that's what White Man Can't Jump's about, right? What do you What do you guys think of Ant Man? Dude, when you were thinking about a rap group called the Regulators earlier, were you thinking of Warren G and Big Dogs Regulate? Way, way to dodge the question. I mean, I'm not going to say that's not what I was thinking about, <laughs> but I'm not going to say that it is. All right, I'll go ahead and say I really like this movie. I liked it the first when time you I said saw Warren it. Warren went... G, did you mean Warren Beatty? Means Warren G. Harding. Warren G. Harding. <laughs> Tanya Harding? He died young. Is he related to Tanya Harding? Yeah, they're 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 next of kin. Tanya's his next of kin. That's why she inherited his ice skates when Coolidge became president. Mm, Coolidge. <laughs> he sounds like he would be an ice skating president. Yep. He's got cool in his name. He's from Vermont. And also too. the second half sounds like fridge. Yep. Yep. I just realized the other day somebody made a reference to uh, Bill Clinton being the first cool president, and I said, bullshit, Calvin Coolidge. And, it, <laughs> I, and I didn't realize, I I didn't do that because cool was in his name, but I just realized that that happened. <laughs> what? <laughs> I just did it because Calvin Coolidge is a running joke in our group. Oh, man. So, okay, so you really liked this so, film. <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. I mean, I think... Uh, I mean, one of the comments I, I made in my notes and my uh, live tweeting of this was that uh, I really appreciate you tweeting. <laughs> You're not time delaying your tweet. <laughs> I mean, I am I am tweeting it at the same time I'm watching it. That's live tweeting. Anyway, I mean, whatever. what if you're Peter Sellers' corpse? <laughs> I mean, I, I ask myself that every morning. Uh, Look at yourself in the mirror and question. try to peel off your fake mustache. What, what a strange existential crisis. <laughs> Good God, what is wrong with us? Why can't we talk about this? What story? if Peter Sellers' corpse is actually made out of chocolate? You're going to have to bite it to find out. Okay, so let's talk about this. Uh, what what do you think, Buster? I really liked it. Uh, one of the things I was trying to say was I really appreciate that it like leans into being a comedy uh, in in a way that I find, you know, a nice change of pace. I mean, certainly we've had funny moments in uh, these Marvel movies so far, but, you know, they have definitely been, you know, action movies first and foremost. And I think, you know, the super the superhero genre, to the extent that it even can be a, called a genre, definitely does seem to function as though they all have to be action movies. But this is one that, you know, it sort of segues into being a bit more of a, of a heist movie, uh, but I, I appreciate that. Um, I really, I really enjoy Paul Rudd in this. I, I would, I think I'd prefer like the entire time I'm watching it I, and I'm enjoying Paul Rudd. I'm also deeply frustrated that this just isn't a movie about hope. Like they try to give an explanation for why Hank is such an asshole to him, but like, I don't think that it plays. I just, yeah, well, yeah, to her. Uh, and, but I don't think that it plays, and like I'm deeply pissed off when she forgives him because he's still been a fucking asshole you're, for the last. You're 20 angry years. that she forgives her father for trying to keep her alive. I, I, well, for keeping her mom's, like mom's death a secret. Yeah, 
Well, for not even explaining that that's what he's doing. Like, she, like she's just entirely... Like, there's just so much miscommunication, lack of communication between them. And I just find that, like, she's so quick to forgive him. Like, the moment he explains anything about what happens to her mom, she's, like, pretty much goes from, like, zero to I am crying and going, Oh, oh I forgive you. And it just and he, feels well, like... No, it's, it's he not throws the it out the window in the mid-credits. Too. It's it's like, the moment yeah. that Aaron Rudd gives her perspective on it. Aaron it's it's that he's he's the one who's like he's trying <laughs> to keep you alive. Who is he's not Aaron? trying to prevent you. Aaron, sorry, Aaron Rudd is the God damn it! I do this every time. He's the guy I used to work with in Circuit City. Oh, Paul Rudd is his uncle. So Aaron, I, if I, you're I, listening, and my girlfriend went to high school with him, so man. she's the Paul only Rudd. one who understands who I'm talking about. Thought, sorry, Paul man, Rudd. Man, I mean, Scott Rudd. Lang. Scott yeah, Lang. Aaron Paul Rudd. <laughs> Alright, so Katie Lang yeah. has to explain this to him. <laughs> yes. So, she, he, he has to explain like Katie to her. Lang than he does Aaron Paul. Well, I feel like that's actually fairly realistic, because, like, he's... Okay, it's not realistic that he would never tell her what happened to her mother, except that he was obsessed with, you know, trying to bring her back. Doing research, sending so his kid off to, to the morning child. Tell her over the last twenty years go. Yeah, but I'm he's rich and he's white, so I... they don't talk to their children. They just send them to boarding school. That is a fact of life. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I mean, there's that. Derek was getting at it earlier. There's that moment uh, in the. Uh, the, the mid-credit sequence where, like, he, he goes and reveals the, like, experimental wasp suit. as like, we're going to make this for you. And her response is, it's about we damn time. for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, I think know. he says, we realized we were making it for you. Uh, we're going to yes. finish it. Uh, but I I wish, like, as much as I enjoy Paul Rudd in this role, I also think it You wish that he did not exist and we had just skipped to the second uh, Yeah, I, I wish that we hadn't had to, that we didn't have to introduce this concept for a character with a likable white man first. So, I wish that we had just been able to have the Hope movie. Like I, I, Hank I, and Hope. The likable white man. I do want to, yeah. But yes. I, I do want to talk about that. For, I do want to talk about that for a minute. Baby step. Because this goes back to. Um, he is an ant, which is kind of like a baby. Yeah. Uh, is, he, is he an ant or is he a man? Also, it also goes back to the Hank. Does Hank lean on the ant theme a little too much? Like, I realize that he can shrink down, but, like, why does he also then decide that he needs uh, to brain control ants? That seems weird to me. I don't think he decided that as much as Stan Lee did. (laughs) So, So, or Jack Kirby. Um, So, one of them, possibly. Or Bill Finger. I do want, yeah, I do want to talk about that for a minute, though. Not Stan Lee. I don't think Bill Finger did it. Um, I want to talk about the choice. Do you know for sure? I mean, I don't, but I would be very surprised if Bill Finger worked for Marvel as well. You're like Henry Fonda in 12 Angry Men. You just plant reasonable doubts all over the place. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, I mean. And then do a bunch of shit that is definitely deeply illegal and would cause a mistrial. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway. Such a mistrial. Anyway. Um. No, I want to talk about that point about the likable uh, male lead because – it goes back to that question of, like, why is this framed as a legacy hero? Why is this set up that way? Um, and the reason that I keep coming up with when I think about this is because in the comics, Hank Pym is an extremely unlikable character. 
Um, True. The most charitable read of Hank Pym is that he has severe mental issues, um, like severe mental health issues. The least charitable read is that he is uh, a he abused his wife violently. Um, and, uh, also did other terrible things like inventing Ultron and then forgetting about it. Like Hank Pym is at a minimum, a character with a complicated morality. And if you make him the center of your film, you are, you are coming at this from the perspective of this is going to be a significantly darker film than the lighthearted heist comedy that we've created. And it's probably going to be a lot harder sell if you want to be sponsored by both Baskin-Robbins and Thomas the Tank Engine. True. And Lifesavers. Don't forget the Lifesavers. Uh, oh, yeah. mm. But also, but also, this raises the question of... Do, they still, do they still sell Lifesavers? Yes, they do, I believe. I think but, that is... But you don't know. Ant-Man is not a necessary component of the MCU. And, like, all, all, the, all the things that you've just listed, like the problematic part, the deeply problematic parts of Hank him it was like they could have just sidestepped this entire issue like and i think marvel does that sometimes they like make odd choices like they didn't have to make iron fist a white guy they didn't have to make iron fist at all no one was making them do that and just why did they why was ant-man like the like the first post avengers new character they introduced right have there been edgar wright wanted to make an ant-man movie and I am re- reasonably confident that it was entirely because of the visual possibilities of the shrinking and growing hero. Yeah, and, and I mean, the, the visual possibilities here are great. Stan There's Lee some great CGI here. Really excited about this because he said that he was he was always he was never satisfied with Ant Man as a comic character because he never felt like it worked on on the scale that he wanted, and mm-hmm. he actually felt like the the cinematic presentation of Ant-Man was the first time that what he, what his meow Skywalker vision was, was finally realized. So sidebar, the plot of master of disguise is about trying to steal the United States constitution. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Let me rephrase that. He does steal the the original script for Ant-Man is actually tattooed in invisible ink on the back of the president. Oh. And we have to rip off now, the skin of the president and find out that he's actually I mean, the master of disguise. But, but which I'm, president was it? I, I, well, we know it no. had to be Calvin Coolidge, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. No, I have a question about, because he's I have got a question about comic book Ant-Man, because I, I know a little bit about Hank Pym comic and, Ant-Man. and yep. the Ant-Man. Does comic Ant-Man control ants? Is that he, a thing in the comics? So I assume his, they did not make that up for the film. I don't know. I did they though? He he. So his oddly shaped helmet in the comics. He does use that to speak to ants. Yes. So he he coordinates okay. with the ants. Okay. All right. Again, it just two ants. Do you mean speak to ants? Or is he just he's ordering really, them around? That's fair. That's fair. It's really he. He's just leaning so hard into this theme. He loves ants, man. I guess. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean this. Uh, Considering this as sort of like, um, you know, Marvel's attempt to kind of make a diversion into um, not just a a kind of more comedic approach, but also like, um, as I recall, there's a lot of discourse when this film came out about how the stakes were smaller in this film. Like, no cities get destroyed. There's not, you know, beams of light coming out of holes in the sky. Um, 
And it is more of that kind of, you know, certainly not really small scale, but, you know, a heist film, you know, sort of low yeah, yeah. scale. But not um, just and, a heist film. There you go. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know, I don't know if part of it for me, like, I remember when this film came out, um, I, I kind of mildly enjoyed it. <laughs> um, and I don't know if it's because of sort of later, later iterations of Marvel films that have tried to strike this more comedic tone. I mean, the obvious example here is Thor Ragnarok mm-hmm. yeah. that I just find so much funnier than any of the humor in this film. Um, you know, I, I don't know if there's a way in which they they found a different kind of approach to the comedy where it's it's almost more like a, I mean, the, the, the comedy is, it's all kind of about the, like dialogue and characters and it's not so much, the comedy in this film, I mean, there are a few kind of moments of like shrinking and regrowing. Comedy yeah, there's some moments with the Thomas Tank Engine fight that yeah. I thought were yeah. genuinely funny. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's genuinely funny. The thing is, like, that moment was, like, in the trailers. Yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah. seeing that there, moment. There was one moment that I thought was unintentionally hilarious, which is when Michael Douglas is describing his wife's death, and he's talking about the quantum realm. Hilarious. And it was it was one of the... I, I was just like... How the hell could anyone deliver this dialogue? That's because why it, he's got it sounds an Oscar. objectively hilarious. It's Michael Douglas. That's why he's got an Oscar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but the other the other aspect that kind of ties into that is, I, I feel like this film, in a way, threw away its main premise, or it, it, not that it threw it away. It just didn't exercise the idea of shrinking and regrowing to as full an extent as it could have. And I think one of the reasons for the uh, that maybe has to do with this is that, um, you know, when I think of like the genre of like the incredible shrinking man or fantastic voyage or these are genre now. Well, I don't know. Cycle, whatever, whatever you call it, the genre of the shrinking film, the theme of shrinking. So, so much of it is about like luxuriating in this world of smallness. So like characters are either trapped in the small world or, um, there's or there's a sense of suspense where you know if we don't get our mission done in the next two hours we'll get big again and you know kill the guy yeah, that we're inside. Short. There's there's some there's so much of it is actually about kind of world building mm-hmm. and kind of like Austin Powers too when he when exactly he loses like his Austin mojo he loses his mojo and he doesn't know how to get big again. Yeah. Or yeah. in ma- or in Master of Disguise, when he when Pistachio disguises he disguises himself as the turtle. Yeah. Both of those examples. What he's um, really done is he's just taken the shell that he's built around himself inside, and he's put a shell right. around himself outside. It's like Pink Floyd's The Wall. Exactly. But, then, because, but then we as but then we as a nation reacted to nine eleven by erecting our own shell, the Patriot Act. <laughs> And now the Patriot Act has evolved into uh, a plan for a real wall around the country. Just yeah, like, that like a shell. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, part of, part of the issue here is that, like, so what, what we're saying is that Dana, so what we're saying is that the current administration is Dana Carvey's fault. Oh yeah, I th- <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go on the record that I did not say that. <laughs> I am going on the record that No, no, I, ha- I have a not actual point. <laughs> God damn it. Go ahead, Derek. So Ant-Man has, like, uh, 
Except for the end of the film, the sort of climactic, oh, he's going subatomic and will he get out of this moment? He has complete control over his growing and shrinking. And, you know, like he's a superhero, like, of course, that's going to like generate a lot of the plot. But I kind of wish that there had been some sequence in the film maybe where um, where Scott is trapped as a small, you know, entity and has to, like, somehow use his wits to survive until he can get out of it. Or it just didn't seem like the film, you know, for for as many sort of number, you know, quote-unquote numbers of, like, you know, small action scenes that there were, the film small almost, like, it, uh, yeah, uh, the, the film almost, like, accustoms us to this idea to the extent that it doesn't really give itself a chance to play out the full possibilities of the comedy. And I can't help but yeah. wonder if that's something right. that, if that's something that Edgar Wright would have brought to the mm-hmm. film, if not in a script, yeah. because I think it's kind of there in the script, in the scripts, like there are plenty of moments of shrinking and, and getting big, but the, the sort of visual manifestation of that, a lot of it is just sort of ho-hum, like, oh, that's very, yeah, very impressive visual effects. That's that's great. But it's not it's not kind of to an end of comedy or suspense in, an, in yeah. a terribly effective way. You, you'd, you'd expect that, well, I mean, the, the I think the closest we get to that is when he's in the back of the police car and yeah. he doesn't have his helmet on, so he can't yeah. shrink. Yeah. So he's stuck for, like, 30 seconds or something As until he's able guy. to wedge his head right. into the helmet. Uh, and yeah. you would expect that at some point he, at the very least, would be trapped in the normal realm mm-hmm. without the ability to shrink that he's become accustomed to. Or alternatively, yeah, trapped no. in the small realm without the ability to grow, and then he's trapped. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what Derek yeah. mentioned. But, you know, just, yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, you're right. That, that. Is a, that is an odd thing for that not to have been, you know, at some point yeah. part of the dramatic stakes. You know, something goes wrong in the heist, and he's... You know, forced to be small longer than he is supposed to be, or something. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I think. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you, you finish your point, and then I'll, I'll make one. I, I was going to change the, the subject. Okay, then I'll make my point. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that this, when this film came out, I think one of the things that they were consciously trying to do with the MCU was subtly expand the genres of film that they were playing in. So if you look at the films that are wedged around this, uh, ignoring Age of Ultron, which is very much Mm -hmm. a big, bombastic superhero film. You had Guardians of the Galaxy, which was superhero as sci-fi film. You had Winter Soldier, which was superhero as political thriller. You had Thor the Dark World, which was, I don't know, superhero (laughs) as... Fantasy film? I I mean, I think they were going for, like, you know... Fantasy film, kind of, but didn't you know. nail it. So superhero is bad. Yeah, superhero is bad film. Um, and then we came out of this uh, into to Captain America: Civil War, which is more of a straight superhero film, but also trying to aspire to some kind of yeah. social role. So you, you've you've got this period where they were dabbling in other genres, and I think that that makes this film interesting. That it is primarily a heist comedy film that has superhero elements in it. Yeah. Uh, um, I. I like the film, but I don't get wildly enthusiastic about it because it's so light. It's it's a light, yeah. airy popcorn film, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, yeah. I kept I wanted I wanted three things as I was watching it. One was what Derek just mentioned. I wanted the the more spectacular stakes filled um, kind of shrinking sequence. I wanted some journey for Scott to actually take internally. Like Scott does not change at all. 
in the course of this film. He has got Lang. We are yeah. At the, the end of the film, he still does not have an apartment. He does not. Uh, he <laughs> but does, his daughter does have a giant uh, aunt, and that's a change. That's that is, and she know. has an ugly bunny, which is objectively hilarious. Yeah, um, yeah that ugly bunny is really interesting. But he, even how we are introduced to him, like the crime that he committed that got him in jail, is like a writer sat down and said, "What's the most morally defensible crime that I could possibly structure for this <laughs> character?" Like, there's he's not a bad guy, and so we don't really yeah. see him come from anywhere. Yeah, it was like, his first draft was he murdered Hitler, and I was like, I, I, there's no way for that to work. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. Um, you mean because Hitler didn't die and lived to a ripe old age in Argentina, right? He saved his brain. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's like, yeah, he killed Hitler. Mm, maybe let's introduce a little shade of gray. Okay, he didn't uh-huh. kill Hitler. I guess that's the shade of gray. Uh, uh-huh. that's, that's the gray in us all. Fall into, right? Yeah. Because none yeah. killed Hitler. Yep. I so. mean, I mean it. Yeah, I mean, if you really think about if, it, that, if you believe history and Hitler killed himself, Hitler's the only one who killed Hitler. Uh, true. Okay. Or maybe Ava Braun did it, but I'm made gonna, it look like a suicide. Let's jump off of this train. <laughs> kind of like Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain. <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, the, the third the third thing that I really wanted was just something to grab onto with the villain. Like, there. Oh is, my god. Yeah. I feel like. There were, there were, I don't know if there were scenes written to flesh him out that were not in the film, but like, there's, as much as I like the actor, I really do like Corey Stoll as an actor. I I have like an odd affection for him as an actor. There is, he has nothing here. This is like the biggest nothing of a villain since Thor the Dark World, at least. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like he's in a lot of ways like the platonic ideal of a bad MCU villain. Yeah, because almost all MCU villains are either an evil CEO yep. or the evil version of the hero. And he's both, and here he he's yes. both. And he's a less interesting version of uh, who's uh, Jedediah Stainfield. Jeff Bridges. Hank Pym made this <laughs> in a house. With a bunch of scraps. scraps. At least he has that line in the film. Where Corey yeah. Stoll has nothing. Corey Stoll no. is Obadiah Stane without the beard or the Oscar. <laughs> mm. Yes. And the history is the dude. Yeah. Yeah. I still like but, it, but also... It, I just don't yeah. love it. Yeah. Well, also, I, I, I mentioned this earlier, but, you know, I think I think this is interesting as... You know, this and Guardians of the Galaxy are the only two movies of Phase 2 that are introducing new characters. Mm-hmm. Like, the rest of Phase 2 oh, is... Oh, guys, guys, like, hold on. About keep, the keep Avengers. Talking, keep talking. Is your pizza like, here? My pizza bomb has gone off. <laughs> pizza bomb? Oh, there's tomato sauce everywhere. Pizza, pizza. <laughs> that, would, that would be amazing if he just came out with a DiGiorno. Like it just been in the oven that long. I'll be right oh, I'm back. sorry, guys. I was wrong. It wasn't delivery. What? It was. What do you want on your tombstone? <laughs> something, something. Red Baron. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I'm always fascinated we, we by. We made references to four different pizza companies. <laughs> yes. Uh... I'm always fascinated by the DiGiorno commercials because they paint this bizarre, like, dystopian vision of what getting delivery pizza is like, which I I don't know about you, but I've never had an issue with delivery pizza. 
Yeah. It's never been a problem. But in their world, it's like Mad Max with a pizza. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. How do you know that you've never had a problem with delivery pizza? What if every delivery person has sneezed on the pizza? And because of the incubation period of germs, you've never connected it to the fact that you just ate a bunch of snotty pizza. Well, then, well, perhaps that means I like snotty pizza because I've liked every pizza. Hmm. Well, that says more about maybe, you than it maybe, does about pizza. Maybe, some, maybe someday I'll have pizza that somebody didn't sneeze on and go, "What's wrong with this pizza? It's missing." <laughs> because that. you didn't get sick five days later. He's been acculturated to sneezed on pizza. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I have no response to that. Yeah, exactly. Put that in your pipe and eat it. <laughs> I don't think that's what you usually do with pipes. Nor eat it. It's not what... <laughs> I don't what think that's what I usually do with pipes. Nor eating. <laughs> we. This is a weirder recording than normal, right? We're being weird. Yeah, I'm pretty sure is... we're at we're at like we're at like one below par. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I mean, we're not. Yeah. yeah. I will say, like I spent the last one. two days uh, transcribing an interview I did on Saturday, and transcribing an interview is the worst. Incredibly mind numbing. But also, yeah. I was I was listening to it at like forty percent speed, so it was like I was listening to myself while being very drunk. <laughs> and also, the guy I was interviewing when he when you slow him down to forty percent, he kind of sounds like the comedian Mike Birbiglia. So it was like <laughs> listening to the weirdest Mike Birbiglia uh, bit about like his love of Game of Thrones and then me just sitting there for 10 hours writing it down. I was like, oh my god. So, I'm gonna blame that. Did you even try using Dragon Dictation? Because you can just turn that shit on while you're listening to an interview. Uh, I was, uh, like, I recorded this in a crowded Starbucks, so it's not good quality. I don't think, I don't think any dictation software would have worked. Did you try, though? I did not try. All right. I bet Shazam could do it. Because Shazam can pick out something in the grocery store while there's a ton of stuff going on. But it can't It can't tell what's playing uh, from my upstairs neighbor through the floor. Because I've tried it and it can't figure out what's playing. Have you tried <laughs> drilling a hole in the floor and putting a camera? It's nothing I mean, but holes up there. Why do you assume I have a ceiling? It's all. It's nothing but holes. It's nothing. I but can drills. literally see your ceiling right now. No, you can't. <laughs> Note for the audience, Bester just adjusted his computer camera so that I can no yes. longer see a ceiling. But yeah. I trust that there's a ceiling there because you're not being hit by solar radiation. I don't know. There is a strong light source coming from above. That's true. That, that could be the sun. It could be the sun, and you'll never know. But it's 1048 <laughs> Eastern Time. Which means it's yeah. probably not daylight. But it's nine forty eight here, which is a different time that's earlier, so it could still be sunny, because it's summer. And it's yeah. almost, not actually summer yet. It's almost it's not, the longest day of the year. It's yeah, not exactly. summer for another seventy two minutes, my time zone. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
Yeah. Stefan, you're, Stefan, you're going to want to keep everything that we said. <laughs> oh, Stefan's was... not back yet. Don't lie to the audience. <laughs> it was gold. We talked about frozen pizzas, and I lied that I don't have a ceiling, and... We talked I about knew it! I, I, we got down to Red Baron. Okay, so I want to back up. Red Bear Bones. Hey, Bester, remember that time we ate at Red Bones? And it was the most delicious barbecue ever in the history of barbecue. I am, I am still chasing the dragon of how delicious those fried pickles were. They have never been never as good. never be fried pickles as delicious as those fried pickles. But also, that was the highest I have ever been. Can I ask one question? I don't know what you're talking about. That was on the ground floor. Can I ask one question before we go back to wrapping our conversation about Ant-Man? I understand how you would get to frozen pizza from where I left the conversation. How do you get yes. to Bester not having a ceiling over his head? All right, well, you're so, just going to have to listen to the entire oh podcast. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Because we carefully, very part. carefully laid clues throughout. Mm. <laughs> yep, yep. Got it. Understood. Okay. So uh, by carefully, I meant recklessly, and by clues, I meant nothing. So, any other thoughts on Ant Man? Uh, I think it's worth pointing out the uh, the sort of like parallel, uh, you know, father daughter. Uh, I don't know what would you call it theme plot in the film. Hmm. That, oh, I don't know. I it. It. <laughs> um, because I think Hank Pym gets his daughter an Ant-Man and Scott Lang gets his daughter an ant that's almost the size of a man. Oh my god. And that ugly bunny. Or teddy bear or whatever it was. It was a bunny. It was a bunny. Voiced by Tom Kenny. That bunny. What was it? Yeah. Tom Kenny voiced that bunny? Yes. Hmm, I thought it was Billy Barty. (laughs) It's not. No, he played the ant. That's Billy Bunny. Oh, oh, Stefan is not invited back. Um, the all good God, what is this? You and me being groupy and not making any sense. That that point is say not making any sense or looping. All of that point is to say uh, that uh, this. I'm actually not quite sure why I didn't enjoy this film. Hmm. Um, Is it because you're a bad person? I think that might be it. I think you should consider that possibility. Um, Of of the four of us, you do look the most like the bad guy. (laughs) You look the most like Peyton Reed, so you should like this film. Yeah, yeah, you would think that. I just watched a season five episode of Arrested Development where Buster attacked Ron Howard because he thought he was a skinhead. (laughs) Good to know. All right. I still haven't watched any of that. That's all right. All right. It was actually really good until this episode. This is the first episode where I was like, meh. So, Derek, your takeaway is didn't really like the film. Can't really say why. Well, I mean, I can't can't really say why given that, like, putting aside the, like, non-characterization of uh, Corey Stoll's character, um... It's a, it's actually pretty well structured as a film. Like I didn't I didn't feel like there were there was any 
in a dead time or that, um, you know, there's the usual lag that you see in a lot of Marvel films Mm -hmm. in the, you know, at about the, you know, two hour and 15 minute mark. Uh, It helps Um, that this film isn't even two hours long. (laughs) Yeah, well, in in that sort of proportion, in the, the, you know, like about three quarters of the way through the, the film, a lot of times these films have just weird kind of extended sequences that don't go anywhere. Um, I, well, I, mean, probably I, think, I think for me, the, on acid I when think for me, the kicker was <laughs> that it just wasn't that funny. Like I, I remember, like you know, it, it it has some some scattered funny moments, but it, it's not like comedy is sort of baked into the film um, in the way that um, I think it's a little more thoroughly integrated in something like Thor Ragnarok. The well, I mean, Thor Ragnarok is like, I mean, that's like a high watermark. That's like, you know, at, at, as I recall, at the time, Ant-Man was like the high watermark for comedy MCU. And now we've cleared that. Right? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. I mean, but well, it, it, it was, was, it was funnier Ragnarok than Thor like the Dark World. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, you know, also, I was, this podcast I was, has been funnier than Thor the Dark World. Yeah. But also, I would consider, you know, I would consider Thor Ragnarok... Thor Ragnarok is very much in contention as my favorite MCU movie. It's one yeah, of the it's, it's a Taika Waititi really film. Great. That's like a whole different. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's a whole different type. I it's might watch Thor Ragnarok tonight. <laughs> it's I mean, on, it's, it's so on Netflix. Good. I watched it a couple nights ago. It, it held. I up. own it. I bought it. Yeah, I love that <laughs> shit. Yeah. I mean, another thing that you know we've certainly you know discussed in in various measure in the past is this idea of Master Disguise. Yes, master of disguise is uh, is this idea of like is there room for you know a kind of distinctive uh, directorial style in mm, yeah. a Marvel no, franchise film? What's and, the universal response? No, no, it is not allowed. Well, and now that I mean Thor Ragnarok, and yet Thor Ragnarok exactly. I mean, it's it's sort mm. of. I, I'm wondering if the. You know the sort of creative differences here were. You know, Marvel did not want the when 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 they were thinking of Edgar Wright for this film, they were they were thinking of like Edgar Wright style comedy. They were thinking of maybe its pace. You know, the fact that it moves really quickly, but they weren't necessarily the thinking fact that it had like twice as much dialogue per page as any other American film. Or just in general, not even the dialogue, but the you know the kind of it's got a rhythm, the visual flair and the visual rhythm that yeah, yeah. Brings, brings to his films. But th- think about um, when, but they, when think about when he was hired to do this. Like mm-hmm. he joined yeah, okay. this again before Iron Man was out. So at that point, he had done Shaun of the Dead. He had done Hot Fuzz. Between, I, there's a chance he may not even have done Hot Fuzz by the point that he got that's true. in this. So between that, it was that still point of fire at that point. and this film coming out, he did Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and he did The World's yeah. End. Uh, and then he followed this up with Baby Driver. Like He was not the same director when this film right. came to release that he was when they hired him. Yeah. And I'm wondering if just the, the, the trouble was like visual style, that they didn't, that they didn't want... The I, I don't know if you anybody any of you have you know read up on this anymore. I, I haven't, but you know there's something like very visually distinctive about an Edgar Wright film. Uh-huh. Um, and, and there's something very visually. You mean distinctive. the ice cream wrapper, right? The cornetto. There's also something the cornetto wrapper. 
in its lack of distinction of the Marvel of the Marvel aesthetic, like with perhaps the exception of Thor Ragnarok, maybe some more recent ones, like that I've seen things that have like shown like just how like there's a very sort of neutral, like often kind of desaturated look that Marvel mm-hmm. movies go for, and it yeah, makes them look very consistent movie to movie to movie, mm-hmm. but also you know perhaps Edgar Wright didn't want to play in that yeah. kind of a world. And it's, and in some ways like Thor Ragnarok, you can motivate that because it's in, it, it's basically in the guardians of the galaxy. It's kind of. Yeah. Right. It's in the um, kind of world where Jeff Goldblum can dress like that and not get scoffed at. Right. Yeah. But the problem is this film is set on earth. I'm pretty sure that's and just so, how Jeff Goldblum looks on true. a day. I felt bad as soon as I said that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, uh, the film is set in the Bay area, but I got the feeling it's kind of set mostly in Marin. So if it was set in like the Castro or maybe down in the Hate, you could have gotten away with some more flair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, color. I think it's I think it's very telling that you know they get rid of Edgar Wright and they bring in uh, Peyton Reed, who you know seems like a perfectly capable director, but you know he's not he's not directing anything that's you know. I didn't know his name before this film. Spirit. Yeah, like, he, he's that kind of a director. He's the kind of director that you look at his filmography and maybe you've never heard, maybe you've never seen any of his movies before, but, like, they're all sort of like, yeah, I kind of remember that movie. Yeah. Yeah. He's very much, he's a very much a, um, um, what's, uh, like a journeyman kind of a director. Yeah. yeah he, he, he delivers. And, you know, I think we see that in, in the Marvel franchise, but we see that in other things. You know, the whole thing with Solo and, uh, mm-hmm. Lord and Ron, Ron Howard. Howard. Yeah, Ron they, Howard being brought in to replace yeah. Lord and whatever no the other guy's name was. Yeah. Uh, because again, again, I think I think this style of of uh, franchise filmmaking sort of requires a a less autorist kind of director. The fact that the Russo brothers have been so successful coming from television, I think, is very telling. At least within you, the structures you, that that have been established within the MCU and the way that Feige struck yeah, yeah. That, that operation. Yeah, I, when, I, think, I think there's... Dude, you when you say heard. When you say requires, like, I... I guess the, the thing that I'm thinking of immediately is the Fantastic Four film, which I have not yet seen. We have not yet gotten to. But, like, we'll see soon. from everything that I know about it, I desperately want to see the original director's vision. Uh-huh. And I do not care at all about the finished product that we actually I, get. I don't think Bester was talking about superhero films in general. I think he was specifically talking about the MCU and the template. Yeah, I think, I, I, think, yeah. I think, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think definitely, you know, the Fox Marvel Universe and the, um, the DC Universe, I think are both, are not nearly as, like, Tightly regulated and this, uniform. The D Snyderverse. Yeah. No way. That's and, and a different I'm, thing. The D Snyderverse. <laughs> the D Snyderverse. Um, but yeah, and I mean, but but you, but we do see that, like Zack Snyder, like the aesthetic of the of the DC universe has very much become the Zack Snyder aesthetic too. And and it seems like that's a problem for them. Like, it seems like yeah. they are having difficulty with that being it their It seems like that's a problem for them. Touche. Yes. Uh, it's, I mean... But yeah, no, I, I was I was very much talking about the MCU, which and, and also uh, Star Wars. Like, Disney franchises, I think, are much more sort of tightly regulated, much more um, 
not necessarily assembly line, but much more assembly line than, you know. Yeah. Fox is like, we don't fucking know what we're doing with the Fantastic Four. Go do whatever you want. Um, yeah, and I don't and think... We saw how that's worked out all those times it's happened. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna see the fourth one. The jeweler is the greatest villain ever to appear on screen. I just, I want to see the next one so badly because I cannot imagine a worse film than Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer. In terms of like a... joy per second, that's the worst <laughs> film I've ever seen. Totally. Any film that I... has tech is technically worse in any way is like I'll probably derive at least a little joy from it. That's the worst film I've ever seen. I except for maybe I just thought I just I had the say. thought that I should watch all of the Fantastic Four movies again before I watch this one. <laughs> and that is a cry for help. We'll, we'll send, like, if we haven't heard from you for a couple days, we'll send the police to collect your corpse. <laughs> yeah, I, or at least... I think I... I think I might do that, particularly because I literally do not remember anything about oh, well, Rise of the Silver then. Surfer. I don't remember a damn... I remember like, the I Galactus is a cloud. And the Silver Surfer's in it. I remember. Is I remember a yes. I remember a scene, a sh- just a single shot of Doctor Doom sideways riding the Silver Surfer's surfboard. That is literally. That is literally what? that Did one that moment. Really happens. I'm pretty. I sure, don't know. I'm pretty sure that Chris Evans, like the Human Torch, also starts switching powers with people at some point. <laughs> and I remember right, one. He did do that. I remember one genuinely horrifying shot of Mister Fantastic, like typing on his BlackBerry, and all of his fingers are, like, stretching oh, in really, hor- like, horrible ways to reach different I keys. I don't was remember. That, was was it that one or the previous film where, like, the silver, or, I mean, the Human Torch, it was, like, a skiing scene on that some kind of snowy one. mountain. That was the first one. Okay. the first one. And he's also there was doing, a like, billboard a, joke about he's doing, like, motocross right? for Royal. Red Bull, right? That's yeah, the thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was Red Bull motocross, yeah. And it's the, and it's the first one, the one where Jessica Alba ends up naked on a bridge? I think it's, I think that's the first one, yeah. Okay. I believe she referred to that as the worst filming experience of her life. Which one, the first one or the second one? I really the, the second When one, she had to do nude scenes okay. for that movie. I yeah, yeah I would have. Well, yeah, literally yeah. that one shot that maybe doesn't even exist of Doctor Doom sideways riding the Silver Surfer surfboard is the only thing I remember from Rise of the Silver Surfer. I do recall that Galactus was a cloud. He was some kind of space cloud. Yeah, I I know that intellectually, but I don't remember it. <laughs> mm. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, that's not my emotional truth. Do you remember the crystalline entity from Star Trek The Next oh, Generation? How could you yes. the crystalline entity? Yeah. That's I how I think crystal- of Galactus in that film. Yeah. That would be except, a much better... Except worse. That would be a much, be a much better Galactus than this fucking Yeah, but like, significantly less thought went into the film's Galactus. The crystalline mm. entity was great. It was terrifying as a child. That, that very first... Crystal- I am more frightened of the crystalline entity than I am of the Borg. Yeah, you can't... As a child. Like, it, it's, it's because Fair it's enough. utterly incomprehensible. Like, wh- there, there's nothing to wrap your head around there. There's no, there's no yeah. easy analog. It's just this unknowing space entity that arrives and destroys. It's very All the best sci-fi villains are like that. The yeah. alien and yeah. alien, it's yep. just, you know... Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah, not it's implacable, it's biology. It's, it's just, yeah. It leaves a desert in its wake. Yeah, and that's really the problem with the Borg is that, that like, they ex- over-explain it. And, yeah. you know, I'm a big defender of Voyager, but I will admit Voyager over-explains the Borg way too much. 
Before we get and off into our Borg crystalline entity conversation tonight, <laughs> any final late. thoughts about Ant-Man? All right, I, I will say, I think I, I, I feel like, at least more than Derek, I like this movie uh, uh, a, a fair amount. I, I, I went in really liking it. Uh, I still liked it. I think at the time that it came out, I would have counted it among my five favorite MCU movies. And it, I don't do that anymore, but that says more about the quality of the like the last uh, year or two of MCU movie releases than any, anything else. I, th- I think it holds up personally. I agree it's not as funny as Thor Ragnarok, but I'm not sure that's a fair comparison. And as my final thought, I just want to say that Dana Carvey played the drums himself for Pistachio's Credits. Was that Damn number it. seven or eight? Uh, that's actually number five. I skipped over <laughs> oh, that to no. get that. Give us the other. Just give them to us. All right. The last one. The one I haven't read is, and this one I didn't read because it's long. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Just do in it. The credit, in the credit, Kevin Nealon's character, because of course Kevin Nealon is in this, is seen asking Devlin if Fabrizio can disguise himself as various female characters. The first person he asks about is Barbara Streisand. Dra- James Brolin, the actor that plays Fabrizio, has been married to Barbara Streisand since July 1st, 1998. When you said James so, Brolin, I thought of Josh Brolin. His dad. Josh, James Brolin yeah. then, Josh Brolin's dad. Then I had to remember that James Brolin is the guy who hosted Beyond Belief Factor Fiction before Jonathan Frakes. And Josh Brolin was in No Josh Country Brolin for is Men. not it, Josh Brolin is not Barbara Streisand's kid, right? No, this is a is different. Oh, Josh, yeah, Josh Brolin was. Yeah, Nick, when you said Fabrizio, wait, Josh Brolin I, was also Thanos, right? Yes, yeah, that wasn't you, Ron Perlman. Correct. When you said Fabrizio, why wasn't it Ron Perlman? I don't know. Sorry, Derek. Go ahead, Derek. Fabrizio. When you said Fabrizio, I envisioned it being spelled like the, like the cleaning spray. Yeah. It is F A B B. R I Z I O. What if Fabio and Febreze had a child? Fabrizio is maybe how it's pronounced. There is a professional wrestling tag team. Uh, Their their gimmick is they are fashion police, and they're fantastic. Uh, (laughs) But the two members, when they joined up as a tag team, the characters' names were Fandango, was one of them, and he danced. And And Grim. No, uh, Tyler Breeze was the other. And the joint tag team was not Febreze. And it still bothers me to this day. <laughs> That's terrible. Also, I would just like, as the final detail about uh, Master Disguise, I would like you to guess who plays young Pistachio Disguisey. Dana Carvey. Zach Efron. Nope. No. Sean Astin. Any other guesses? Joel Osment. Cole and Dylan Sprouse. Who are Cole and Dylan Sprouse? They're they're the the twins who played the kid in Big uh, in Big Daddy, and they were Zach and Cody in the Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. And Cole Sprouse is now Jughead. I am extremely angry that when you said they were the kid, the first thing I thought was that that show no i think i was thinking of wizards of waverly place i don't know anything about wizards of waverly place or the sweet life of zack and cody but in my head i transposed them and so when you said the sweet life of zack and cody i thought that i had somehow known that having no knowledge of either of these things 
They also played Ro- uh, Ross's kid in uh, Ben in uh, the later seasons of Friends. Ben was the monkey. They are right? Hollywood royalty. They're the spouses, damn it. Oh. Wait, was that the chick or the duck? Dylan played the chick, Cole played the duck. And now he's okay. Jughead on Riverdale. Huh. I would have thought it had been the other way around. Hmm. Well, they zig when you think they're going to zag. <laughs> uh, here's my final thought. You know, like... <laughs> that was a zig also, where he thought we were going to zag. Also, Keenan Thompson is in this movie playing a character named Keenan. He's in Master of Disguise. Wait, what name. movie? Derek, yeah, Derek, you, give your thought, please. We need, we need to crash this train gracefully. We need, we need closure here. Um, well, you better get the yellow jacket because there's no other way to do it. Because the train crashes into the yellow jacket. Oh, no, no. It's that you stuck the landing. 9.8. Um, Russian judge says 4.8. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, this, in, in some ways, like, this film has kind of a sort of, like, tough break. Because in Soviet Russia, train crashes you! You are never going to get this sentence out. Give it a shot. Give it one more shot. Edgar Wright is one of my favorite filmmakers. And, uh, I, you know, there was a lot of anticipation in my own sort of mind and friend circle for this film until, you know, we learned that he wasn't going to be directing it. And so it, it couldn't help but be a kind of disappointment. And so I think that's part of what has maybe, like, clouded my relationship with this film. You know, like, in a perfect, in, like, in an objective sense, if there is such a thing for, you know, a film, uh, it's it's a perfectly serviceable film. It's fine, you know. It's a it's your standard kind of Marvel pot boiler in some ways, um, but it just like you think of the the potential of what it could have been. Not not just because of Edgar Wright, but because of like the sort of interesting concept that we have here and the interesting sort of shift in tone um, and the, the shift in stakes. That I just don't feel like the film capitalized on any of that. Uh, in, in any kind of satisfying way. So it'll be a while before I watch this one again. <laughs> All right. I would just I, like I to say um, I am deeply offended that you have a circle of friends that is not us. <laughs> <laughs> deeply offended. How dare you? How <laughs> dare you? Did I say I had a circle of friends? I'm well, a, you said that this movie I, was highly anticipated amongst your circle of friends. Bester was not highly anticipating this movie. Ipso facto. Uh, for, for reasons that are not Derek, going you in. Don't, you don't have to justify that you have other friends. Yes, he does. does yes, he does. Prove it. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. I've given my final thoughts. No, I, uh, I, agree, with, I agree with Derek, and, actually, and I, I had kind of forgotten that this film lived under that uh, removal of Edgar Wright cloud for me, that I actually went into this film prepared to dislike it because of uh, the, the the fact that Edgar Wright either had left or been removed. My impression at the time was that he had essentially been fired from the film uh, after turning in a long period of his life and a lot of energy and a lot of work. Uh, and the, the review, I think it was a quote from Joss Whedon saying that um, having read Edgar Wright's script that he felt it was not only going to be the best Marvel film or like film in the Marvel style, but one of the best films he had ever read or anticipated seeing. 
uh, that I I watched this film and I was surprised that I liked it in the theater because I had expected to be fully disappointed and I was only like 20% disappointed that I actually was really entertained by it. And I, uh, I, I, I do think there's a lot of really humorous moments and it, most of the people in it turn in great performances or good performances. Uh, I think Corey Stoll is, is, is serviceable and, no one's really stand out except maybe Paul Rudd. And I did have to think about his name before I said it right there so that I did not say Aaron Rudd again. You got it right. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I watching it this last time, I, I really had to like make myself try to pay attention because in the shadow of the things that have come afterwards, I I did have to keep reminding myself that I used to think of this as the funniest Marvel film, and it's just not anymore. Huh. Now it's just kind of passable as a comedy. Yeah, I would Period. agree. I would say it's fine. There are there are worse ways to spend two hours. Uh, if you're like if you're on a plane, watch it on a plane. Um, it's. I mean, you I, could watch Master of Disguise one and a half times. You would, yeah, but the looks you would get. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I think, I think it's a fine little movie. There is. Sorry. Master Imagine Master. being behind somebody on a plane and you realize they're watching Master of Disguise, and then it ends, and they watch it again. <laughs> Imagine being behind that person. Yeah. The when only- you're behind someone on a plane. Are you leaning around their seats so you can see what they're doing? <laughs> well, all right. Assume that you're like kitty corner behind them. So yeah, like, like you're in the around. you're in an aisle seat. They're in an, the aisle seat one row ahead, but on the opposite side. So it'd be like easy to see what they're watching. So yeah, but also yes, if I see a screen on a t- anywhere, I will try and watch it. So, I have to like position myself carefully in restaurants. So this is a I think this is a perfectly serviceable, so that- enjoyable film that I would give a qualified recommendation to that like yeah if if it's on it's fine to watch um i the the thing but you're not that compelled it, to watch it right seven samurai or casablanca exactly yeah yeah this is it's not as good a or film, samurai pizza cat it's not as good a film as the bridge on the river kwai uh never seen that <laughs> it's good it's not an apt comparison but it is a very good movie yeah. <laughs> They're, they built that I'm pretty bridge. sure there was a bridge somewhere in this yep. film. And possibly a river? Yep. Not Dr. Zhivago, raves Stephen Claypool. Um, Ooh, I like this movie more than I like Dr. Zhivago. Fair enough. Um, I've never actually seen Dr. Zhivago the full way through. It's boring. Um, anyway. Uh, the, one thing I will say is I remember when the film was in the casting phase and Edgar Wright was still attached to it. There was talk about, ah, who's going to play Ant-Man, the next Marvel hero? And I remember seeing, um, at the time, the rumor bill was like, it's down to two possible actors. It's going to be either Paul Rudd or Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And Joe Go! The, Joe the, Go! The story, the story at the time was it's going to be uh, that the studio wanted Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but Edgar Wright was going to bat for Paul Rudd. Um, and in retrospect... Uh, you may disagree because of your love of Jogo. I think they made the right call. Oh, I agree. I, well, at the very least, if if the tone of the movie was the same, if it were still a comedy. But I think I think if you cast Jogo, it's a 
Or, well, now, when you say go to bat for, you mean go to Ant. He went to Ant for, for Paul, Rudd. Paul Rudd, right? He's, because yes. Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in Batman true. The Dark Knight Rises. You, 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 yes, correct. He was, yes. he was, so he was going to, to be the next Batman. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he went I was to trying Amber. to make a pun on Batman. No, no, ex- no, no, explain it first. And, and eventually you because kind of got Paul there. Paul Rudd has nothing to do with bats <laughs> yeah. in this, first, I don't first, think. First step to getting out of that hole is to put down the I don't know. Was, okay. didn't, he, didn't he play Robin in those two movies in the mid-90s? Wasn't that him? No, that was, that was Chris O'Dowd. I thought that was, I thought that was Billy Barty. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, Billy Batty. William J. Barty. Derek, did I get Joe Go from you? I think you're the source of Joe Go. Joe Go, I, I, I think I invented Joe Go. I, yeah. I, Is I'm that like an sure energy drink? <laughs> no, it's one I call Joseph Gordon Levitt, and everyone else, like if they're going to call him something cute and nickname me, will go JG JGL. Joe Go. Joe Go. Joe Go so good. It's so good. Joe Go's better. Joe Go. Uh, also, I would just like to point out... So, Angels in the as outfield. I, as I said That was earlier, Tommy Ian Nichols. No, that was Joe Scorona. Rookie of the year was Tommy Ian Nichols. <laughs> as I said earlier, Master of Disguise was the film debut of Jessica Lee Keller. And I had to as find out who earlier, Jessica Lee Keller... That would be the last time that you mentioned Master of Disguise. You, sir, are a liar. Who was I never, the I, kid I don't in remember. A, who was the kid in King Arthur's Court? Was that also he was Tommy a Connecticut Ian Yankee. Nichols? In Peyton Manning. Are... That was also Tommy Ian Nichols. Eli Manning. Eli. Anyway, tell, tell, us about, tell us about Jessica Lee Keller. All right. Well, she played group dancer in, uh, in this. And uh, supposedly six out of ten people found the fact that this was uh, this fact was interesting about Jessica Lee Keller. I suspect those are all family members of Jessica Lee Keller. Mm. As near as I can tell, the most compelling thing this woman has been in is a movie called Terror Birds. Oh, I gotta know more I, about Terror Birds. Terror Birds. When Maddie Stern, Jessica Lee Keller, discovers her father, her father has gone missing during a routine bird watching excursion. She and her college pals trek out into the wilderness to find them, only to end up in a wealthy scientist's des- desolate ranch aviary, where they encounter a pair of giant, hungry terror birds believed to be extinct for centuries. It's been a while since I've read the book of Ecclesiastes, but I'm pretty sure that plot is in there. <laughs> I mean, yes, absolutely. There are no new terror birds under the sun. Mm. Yes. <laughs> that is the appropriate response to that weird series of words that I said. So, yes. Ant-Man. Yep, uh, Ant-Man. Was it yeah, movie? He's I think the man. It. Or is he an ant? The man with the when he's underwater, touch. is he still an ant, <laughs> or does are, the water ant him instead? Are, 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 are lobsters mermaids for scorpions? Yeah, he likes to play the drums. No, that, that was Dana Carvey playing the drums for himself yeah. in Master of Disguise. Well, he's getting I'm good, not a real doctor, but I am a real, real ant. Real, real, real. All right. Anyway. 
This has been. I think that wraps. This up. has to. This has to have been our loopiest recording. They might have never be been this loopy. That's not true. Really? Thor, What's Thor, what are, Thor: The Dark World? We spent an hour talking about Billy Barty. 